Hello, everyone. Welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Today, I'm honored to have Nasmi. So Nasmi, I don't know, back then in degree, uh, Nasmi already uh, teaching, he's been teaching for quite a while. And my tu- my, I, I never got a chance to, you know, to learn or study under his tutorship. But I always thought that, you know, Nasmi is so young and I wish to learn a lot from him and just no chance. And then I always feel the kind of... Uh, intimidated setting because I always thought that he's kind of serious person until uh, earlier this year I think so we we, we got a chance to uh, talk talk again in uh, Taylor's graduate show so we had a discussion on uh, community and also culture that's a very big topic so I thought to catch up with him and we can talk more and I have attended a few of his uh, sharing session especially the one in uh, concrete matter so he was talking about background, frame, and platform. So that sort of comes back to uh, yet a few few weeks or few days ago. He, I, 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 I sort of uh, uh, very lucky to to got into his uh, clusters to see his students' presentation. So today's, I was thinking the the idea, less speculating on you know uh, background, frame, and platform. This is kind of interesting. So maybe we can invite Nasmi to talk about it, but. Before that, we can start off, you know, what is his background? So without further ado, hi, Nasmi, how are you? Hello, I'm I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. Really, really nice to see you here. And uh, I think I think from the Taylor's graduate show, we, we, we just didn't get enough of it. So we I, I wish to, mm. we can talk about it over here. <laughs> so that was in, uh, that was in, when was that? That was in July, was it? Mm, I think it was in July. So yeah. You gave a little presentation on uh, yeah, yeah. Com- competition short. and also uh, Singapore Memorial, the, mm. the, the competition. Mm. And also part of it, I think hint of it, you already show a little bit, some of the images here. I'm not sure, I can't remember, but I can somehow get yeah, the resonance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that Singapore competition was also, was a, was a, also, I mean, Zazie was also a big part of that competition mm-hmm. uh, uh, team uh, that was made up of, of, of a career uh, uh, Brian Chi, uh, mm. uh, Hui Ping, and, and, and myself. So it was, a, it was mm. a, yeah. So it was a collaborative project in, in that sense. Mm. I, I love the, the, the painting, the, the, the final, the final, the, the rendering or the illustration. It's, it, it doesn't yeah. look like a, I mean, we, we, we tend to think this is, you know, architecture drawing should be like this, should be like that, but in a way it can be, like, can be another way around. But perhaps that, that, that we can come to, you know, later when we talk about uh, competitiveness and also um, what is architecture, <laughs> you know. But, but, but let's talk about your background because I'm curious why, why did you choose architecture at the first point? Uh, well, I mean, I've always kind of liked uh, making drawings. Uh, I, I, I can't really, really say I'm very good at it. Hmm. I, I like doing drawings and then I think... My, my mother was always very into drawing, but my mother studied uh, civil engineering. Oh. Uh, so she had, she always had, you know, drafting equipments and, and, and stuff around the house. Uh, because back then, I think when you work in, when I mean, she's a, a technician, a technician. So when she works in, she, I mean, it's a, it was a time when people were still doing, you know, drawings in the office with, you know, P-squares and, and all those things. Uh, so we always had those things around the house. And my mother was always kind of into making like small projects, like, you know, designing, you know, shelves, mm. uh, designing small, I don't know, uh, you know, birdhouses, designing, 
you know, extensions to the kitchen and thing. And she was always making this kind of very cute little, almost like axonometric sketches with dimensions. So, so, mm. and, and I think she could draw way better than I can even now. So I, I think that, but she studied civil engineering. And I think it was only much later that I found out that she originally wanted to study architecture. But oh. I think at, at the time, um, the scholarship on offer was for to study uh, civil engineering. So she mm. never... And that was the closest thing to involve drawing and, and buildings, right? So, so mm. I think instead of um, instead of being an architect, she became a civil engineer. But but she was always into buildings. Like she liked mm. uh, you know very quaint stuff. She like all this kind of fusion between the, the new and kind of this rustic uh, old stuff. You know, old shop houses and and those kind of things. Like she was already into those kind of things you know, in the 80s. So, like, she, mm. she always liked this kind of very quaint, very idiosyncratic thing. And she always had this kind of very uh, eclectic taste in, in, like, design and, and textures and, and fabric and clothes and whatever. So, so and then when, when it came time for me to kind of study, a, a course to study in the university, like, like I, I was I, like I really wanted to study history. Like, like history was a very big thing. Like I wanted mm. to become a, histo- a historian, like above anything else. Like, like I, I had two ambitions in school. I wanted to either become a historian or a teacher. You know, uh, because, <laughs> you you because, realize you realize that now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and and now I I realize I'm actually kind of doing both, which is good. Uh, but 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 because no, because my grandfather was a teacher, my aunts were teachers. Mm. And and they were and they were always kind of history books lying around. So I was always kind of reading high school history books when I was you know seven or eight. Like I was really into this idea of history. So that when it came time to go to the university, I said I wanted to study history. And then my you know my father was like, well, that's not really a career choice. <laughs> you don't go and study history. So, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, make money, is it? They they will say. It does, it, well, it's not a professional course like right, what right. do you do right and and then um so and i didn't really want to study engineering because i mean i'm not that much into kind of maths and whatever so my mom was like oh maybe you study architecture like architecture mm. is very easy very easy uh, there's no calculation uh, you sit around making sketches right and that's what she told me <laughs> and i was like well that sounds great you know that sounds like a dream to just go into a course and just draw you know, uh, and then once I entered the course, then you start to realize why am I not sleeping? Why am I drawing at three a.m. in the morning? And she was like, "Yeah, well, that's also a part of it, which I didn't tell you about." So, so it's too late. That that that, that time perhaps you are in uh, second year or first yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> by that time I'm like, I have no other choice, right? Uh, so, so I have my mom to kind of thank for that, and not blame or thank. I guess to thank her. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so but but yeah, but I had benefits. I mean, then I had to I could I could I could borrow her drawing stuff and things like that. And right, right. Uh, yeah, so that's in a way how I ended up in architecture. Uh, like I've never thought about it as a career choice before I started it. Like, you know, mm. I really wanted to be a historian above anything else. Mm. But 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 you know, uh, seeing the fact that your your mother, you know, is a is a civil engineer. So, but the drawings is kind of technical. It's not compared to, you know, I mean, of course, architectural drawing can be very technical as well. Yeah. But then the sketches is not, you know, the, the, the engineer sketches, they are not like architectural sketches. 
Yeah, but but like my mother is a very talented artist. Like she could make portrait sketches, oh. which are very beautiful. Like like she mm. just has this talent for drawing that I just don't have. Like like she, even now she could make like a you know like a portrait drawing or whatever. So so I guess she had to go into civil engineering, but she was always very kind of artistically inclined. Mm. But I I think back then, I mean, being an artist, I don't think was it was even a choice lah. I mean like I mean, mm. if, if someone don't want you to become a historian. I guess becoming an artist is even more kind of a no-no. So, mm. yeah. So, she's very talented in kind of very, there's this artistic leaning uh, that she, that I guess she cultivated among us. Mm-hmm. But, but is, is there, so, so, but, but speaking from yourself, I'm not sure about others, but for me, it tends to be like, because until today, my grand my grandpa can't understand what am I doing architecture. He don't understand right. because back in his day, the 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 house he's living in now is built by his uh, his father. So there is mm-hmm. no such thing as architects, you know. Correct. Yeah, but, I think that's but, a very 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 interesting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but but for you, yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. how about your 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 family, or is there any pressure in this case when you decided to do architecture? But but in this case, it's kind of different because mm-hmm. your mom's kind of work with architects a lot. Yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom knew a lot of architects, so that let's say when I need to go to internship, you know, I went to a friend's office and whatever. So, so it was not an alien thing. I mean, because my mom, my mom worked in, in JKR, in, in you know, uh, oh. the, the the public works department. Right, right, right. Um, so, so I, I went there to see some of our architect friends to learn how to draw and whatever. So, so, so it was a, yeah. So it was, it was not a. There was no. Yeah, I guess people know what what it's about, like architecture. Mm-hmm. I think it was very but, clear to everyone. But but her involvement into JKR, it must be like quite a huge building, like public housing offices. Mm, kind of yeah, but uh, but she was mainly like for some reason she was not working. She was working main uh, for a large part of her career. Yeah, she was working in infrastructure, mm-hmm. and I think towards the end of her career, she was in kind of uh, building maintenance. But she was involved in kind of uh, the upkeep and maintenance of uh, uh, old government quarters. Ah, so right. so she was never in, in involved, as far as I know, in kind of well. I mean, but she was kind of the on-site technician when they were building the campus for uh, UIA in in, in Gomba. Mm. So I guess she was involved, but I think she was more on the infrastructural side, mm. like r- roads and and drainages like that somehow. Mm-hmm. And speaking of infrastructure, it comes to my mind because recently I was doing my uh, thesis as well. Um, perhaps maybe we can talk about Henry Lefebvre as well. In in, in speaking of space, I, I think that's part of your your, your pro pro knowledge. <laughs> but but it, it comes to my point that you know does the space underneath a highway is it a is it a space is it architectural space you know is it a, a highway is it an architectural space you know we we tend to say no it's not architecture let's not do anything about it but. You know, and then that's mm. that's where you know when we say architecture is about everything, but when it comes to that point, you just you know try to take you know push that away, you know. So so that's yeah, a very yeah. interesting topic we, we we can talk about that. But speaking of your you know architectural education, I I, I knew that you were you you have done your masters in TU TU Delft, so, but mm. but but before that you, you were studying locally, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I was in UPM for five years doing my part one and part two. Mm-hmm. Back back then, the part two was still a B art. It, it was not a it was not an M art. 
Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so, uh, if I were to, if I may, kind of go back to your previous point about uh, spaces under in, mm. uh, bridges. It's funny you mentioned that because my brother uh, is actually doing a PhD on that. My brother is working on a PhD, kind of looking at the spaces underneath bridges and, and stuff. Uh, mm. And he's not even an architect. I think he st he studied landscape architecture. Mm. Uh, but I thought that was such an interesting topic to kind of. Uh, Okay, uh, but 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 he he started it before me, so too late. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I studied in UPM for five mm -hmm. years. Um, did my part one and part two, uh, there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. One moment. Yeah. I I got a lot of messages. They they trying to enter this room. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Okay. But, but you did mention, you know, studying architecture and also our understanding of architecture is kind of different, um, you know, in this case, we, 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 we don't talk about bridges, right, in, in architecture school, because we tend to think that's engineering. But if we do space underneath a bridge, is that considered as architecture? But I wonder, what, 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 what was your first project? Can you remember the assignment? <laughs> yes, I, I actually can remember. Uh... Uh, I think the first assignment in design studio primarily was dealing with form, shape, and order and stuff like that, right? <laughs> so, okay. I, so, so I remember the first assignment we were. I, I can't remember whether we were assigned or we were, or we can choose. We we had to make kind of like a like a, I don't remember the name of the exercise. Uh, I think the okay the exercise was called points, lines, and volumes or something. Okay. So you're supposed to kind of build an object, uh, and then you, you had to choose certain materials like oh, uh, um, modeling board, uh, right, wire right. and wire and steel, you know, balsa or whatever, and then you have to make kind of an an, an exploration of an object that 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 kind of integrates with points, lines, and volumes, mm. right? So so I. Uh, cleverly choose to work with steel and wire, right? Because I thought that would be so cool to make something out of, you know, steel and wire. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course it was, it was hell. It was like bending wires. Like I was trying to use wire to make a sphere, right? Uh, and of course I, I, I did it, but it was, it was a hell of an effort to do that. Right. And, right. and then you, and then you had to have to make a drawing of that object. Like you have to, you know, <laughs> put, you know, put shadows on it and like make a drawing out of it. So that was our, our, my first ever studio exercise was that. So doing that object and doing one A1 of drawings. I, I'm pretty sure I got a C plus out of that. <laughs> and then plus back then don't have a, you know, like a camera so that you can print it out, trace it over. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no such thing, right? So, so because you, you, this was pre-digital, pre you know, pre, uh, yeah, primitive time. So. He was a, uh, and then and then I was doing this thing in my dorm, and then all my other roommates who were engineers were like, "What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Bending wires and uh, uh, uh. so is I, it that is was it, sorry, yeah. sorry, is it like a thin kind of wire coil? No, it should I, be I was thicker using, one. It should be thicker I was using one. several different thicknesses and types of wire la, so to to get this. Ah, kind of okay, thing. okay. Yeah, so yeah, I got a C plus out of that. I think. You're like doing a sculpture instead of yeah something like that like. yeah, yeah yeah it was not a building I think we we, we I don't remember whether we in the first semester I don't think we got to a building in the first semester mm, so it's much uh, more it's quite similar to Taylor's M one we are doing like an yeah 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 I think in the end the, the final project in the first semester was to build some sort of a shelter uh, mm. 
like to build it like a physical shelter where you have to stay overnight and whatever. Uh, so that was the, if I'm not mistaken, that was the final project in semester one. Mm, but, mm, mm. That's very nice because you, you did mention about wire and I don't know. I always thought wire and frame they are always goes hands in hand. So it's like a wire maybe, frame yeah. thing. <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe maybe yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it, it, it comes it comes to my point that you know um, it's very interesting because I I was spoken to I was I was speaking with another speaker and then and then we were talking about how childhood or, or, or perhaps the first uh, encounter with architecture somehow influenced you so much you just don't maybe, realize yeah. it you know it's so correct yeah unconsciously that's what we do yeah That's what and. We yeah, and 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 in the in the graduate show, you, I I mentioned you know uh with with Doris, and then we were talking about this market. So, you know, as at, at first point, I always thought that if if I wanted to evolve into a certain project, I must build something, I must uh, build an installation, mm -hmm. I must build a screen, may it be something else or furniture. I just tend to think build, 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 and build. And then you did mention that you know architecture, we did, that's the nature of architecture. We just want to build. But apart from that, we are also building a relationship, um, you know, throughout events or even uh, uh, installation or exhibition, we, we, we are building something as well. So I wonder how do you see unbuilt projects? And also, you know, this is kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a taboo. In a, it's like in architecture, we don't take like projects that not built as our president study. Of course, in masters, we, we can see, you know, Cedric Price. You can see Yona Fredman, you know, mm -hmm. people like this, they are starting to come in and then as our part of the you know, philosophical study. So I thought to uh, quote a little bit uh, uh, writings from Sephora Gideon. So he was talking about an architect has to build, he must be taught the necessary know-how for this. That's what his training is for. So what do you think, Nasmi? Because I think, I think, I mean, previously when I go through your website, the normal, normal architecture, a lot of projects, they are rather ideal. Um, you know, not not a lot like, you know, fancy, fancy uh, build project and then say, oh, what kind of materials are used, but rather on a thinking process. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think they both have uh, their values. No, I, I think you know, some of the most amazing architectural ideas are never built. I mean, and, and they exist in the kind of uh, the realm of drawings and sketches and diagrams. And, and I think that those could be a, a, as intriguing as, as built things, right? Mm. Uh, be, be, because, and, and I think they do, they do different things uh, because they, they kind of stimulate you or they can they kind of engage you uh, in, in different ways. So I, I don't think uh, something unbuilt is kind of not as powerful as uh, something that is built, although they give you uh, very different kind of sensations mm. and they engage your senses in a, in a different way, right? Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, you could also relate that to, to buildings that you see as photos. For example, when I was a student, right, uh, in, in year one, uh, and then I stumbled across the photographs of uh, uh, Corbusier's uh, Ronchamp Chapel. Mm. Right? Mm. So, so my experience of that building is kind of, or the fact that I like that building is simply because I I saw the photos and I read kind of what is written about the building, right? Mm. Uh, and then uh, being able to kind of visit and see the, 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 the building in real life kind of many, many years later, uh, it engages you in a different way, right? So, so I think uh, that, that, that there's uh, like engaging with an idea that exists as drawing is one thing, 
mm. engaging with the kind of uh, the photographic representation of a building is one thing and experiencing the actual building as a build is one thing. And, and I think they, they could be kind of uh, complementary. They could also be contradictory, right? Uh, and, 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 and I think they are equally fascinating. So, so I, I, for, and, and I mean, you mentioned Cedric Price and, and, and Yona Friedman. Uh, those projects that they drafted out were never built, right? But I think it re, they remain influential, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and maybe also because they're never built, they, they remain as this sort of a, of an ideal, right? Mm. And, 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 and you can kind of like interpret it, you can in a way borrow or, or quote from it or, or uh, you know, take it as an influence for your own work. In a different way uh, that a built building is, and I think you take different things. For example, if you build, if you visit a kind of a very beautifully constructed building, then you get, mm. you know, different things. You get ideas on materiality, you know, the way that light comes in and stuff like mm. that. Mm. But if you look at the drawings of Price, there's none of that, but you get, you know, other forms of... Uh, of uh, Exploration. Of, uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think they're equally valid in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. But but in your context, we 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 tend to perhaps I mean I I, I totally agree with this uh, idea of creating like a it's much more like a dream, much more like an imagination. It's all in 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 Cedric head, and also he 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 did this uh, trail project. I can't remember the, which one. So he did something similar with the abandoned site, and then he was proposing like a trail, so that his architecture kind of you know travel along the trail railway. Yeah. The the, uh, the the pottery pottery stink belt. I think. Yeah, 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 stink belt. Yeah. yeah. So, but but in in your case, we I'm not sure about. How do you see, you know, students seeing unbuilt projects? Perhaps when it comes to portfolio, they might think that, oh, unbuilt project, they are not practical, you know, it's not built. That's why we can't justify your experience. We can't justify your practicality, you know. Uh, it, do you have students come to you and say, I don't want to do that kind of thing because it doesn't help me to get more job in a way. But I, it depends because some firms, they do believe in the so-called un unbuilt projects, your, your imagination, right? I don't, I, don't, I mean, so far, no. I, I think I've I've not had any student who who has kind of uh, been been less responsive to kind of unbuilt ideas of projects. Mm. Mm. I, I think it, it's it's how you present them. You know? It's how you share these things. And uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, because I mean, if you if you work in an I mean, at the end of your architectural. Uh, Education, right? Mm. The projects that you've done are unbuilt projects. You know, they, they yes, exist exactly. <laughs> in this in this realm of drawing, so so I, I think it's perfectly fine mm. to look at the uh, reference of unbuilt work. Mm. Uh, yeah, and and I mean, of course, often... like, like sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean, but, but of course, visiting the, a building which is built, like I said, like I said, it gives you a different sense of you know materiality, and you know, and 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 you know this kind of physical presence like that. Like, like when I, I visited Ransham, mm. it has this kind of very powerful physicality. It's very hard to, mm. it's very hard to, to describe. It's a, it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful building somehow. It's very difficult to, to describe that building. It's Yeah, it's, the kind of presence is just- uh, Yeah, yeah, words yeah can, exactly. Can play Correct. Sorry. It has this presence, right? It's not a rational building. It's it's something else. It's, I mean, if you look at Ron Sham, right, which mm. is built, 
And if you were to compare it to a drawing of Cedric Price, the Fun Palace, the Fun Palace, which is not built, is way more rational than Ronsham, which is built. Right? So it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's yeah, it's very interesting. So 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 you are saying uh, Ronsham it appears to be much more dreamy than than, <laughs> than yeah, the Fun somehow. Palace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It is actually. It's mm. it's really strange. It's like you really have to visit that building to to see how strange it is. It's it's very. It's know, very it's, plastic. It's, <laughs> what Corbusier yeah, would say, plastic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's how it's described in written words. I, I, I don't mm. see it as, I, I don't see it as plastic. I see it as this very muscular thing. But what is curious about that building is that if you don't know the history of architecture, if you just see it like that, mm. that building is very difficult for you to date. Like if you you cannot you cannot say where from which period. Where does it? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it, it somehow. It's as if it just appears there, you know, somehow. Mm-hmm. It's very, diff- it's almost un, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to visit that building as well. It's, it's, yeah, you in, should, Paris, you should, you it's, it's in France, isn't it? In France, like, no mistake. Yeah, it's in a very small town. Uh, mm. It's in a very small town, well, called uh, Roncham. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went via Basel and I took this train and it's a one carriage train. No one goes to this town except for architects. So when I went there, <laughs> when I went there, it was just me and this Japanese guy, right? It was only the two of us in the train. And we stepped out onto the platform. He looked at me and he said, architect. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you guys not knowing each other before taking no, the train. No, 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 no. no. But, but we were the only 2% two, two on the train. Uh, very strange. Mm-hmm. So you visit by your own, uh, by by your own, but you didn't realize so, another Japanese architect as well. Yeah, so yeah, so it was me and the guy kind of walking around, uh, uh, and he was actually not an architect. He was a photographer. Ah, right. Who was sent by his parents, and even his parents were not architects. They were somehow like artists or what, who were mm. really big fans of Corbusier. So mm. he's in France kind of taking photographs of Corbusier's work for his parents, mm. which I thought was kind of very fascinating. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. And and thanks, thanks, thanks for the beautiful sharing. I, I can imagine me myself when I visit there, I will I will get that yeah. kind of resonance. Because cool. before I came into UK, I you know, uh, Hua is here. So I I I spoken with I, I spoken to Hua and then Hua was talking about Charing Cross. Uh, he showed me a painting. I never realized how 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 impactful it is until I reach uh, Trafalgar Square, and you you come through from the Charing Cross uh, station. You realize that the physical existence is not replaceable. You know, it's it's Correct. so powerful. And yeah. speaking of that, how maybe we can talk about the existence uh, between built and unbuilt, and also the reality of architecture in this sense. Is there any unrealized project or dream project you wish to do, or or it, it could be it could be non-architecture. It could be filmmaking, publication. I believe publication you have done a few because you have joined in a KLF uh, catalog. You yeah. wrote a few, and yeah. a music production. I believe you 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 are quite into it <laughs> recently. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think music is this kind of very big thing. Uh, for me. Uh, yeah, like, like I don't know, like, like, I mean, like I, I like architecture, like, but I also like music and kind of really a lot, and and, and it's uh, 
and it's something that I'm kind of trying to understand because like I, I'm I don't understand like I don't learn I don't study music mm. I, I find it I find that music is a kind of a very free form of kind of creation like it's more it's of course it's less physical than than, than architecture right but it, mm. it's also impactful as as a set of ideas um, mm. a, dream, a, a dream project I don't know like it, in I mean, in terms of building, like I, I'm always like, uh, if it's a build project, I would really like to be able to kind of design and build something uh, like very everyday mm. or also or industrial. Like I, I, I would really like to do like a day one orang ramai, or I would really mm. love to do like a kindergarten, or I would really love to do. You know, like a substation, or, or like a, or like a factory, mm. or like a, like um, I don't know, a, 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 a distribution center, a warehouse, or something like. So let's say my ideal kind of architecture projects are, are things in that realm, like, you know, like either something very everyday, like everybody uses, like a day one, or like a, like a kindergarten, or like a, I don't know, like a, like a bus stop, or. Or something industrial that you don't think about as architecture, like it could mm. be a TNB sub, TNB substation, or it could be a, uh, I don't know, a, but, a, 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 a small you know, warehouse. But 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 uh, I I'm just curious, what are you thinking now? As in like, I, do you imagine that kind of a TNB substation or the warehouse is gonna be as it is now, or is gonna be quite different with with your design? Because the the the, the yeah, projects, sure. the typologies that you mentioned is very mundane in a way. It's so yeah. it's no it's so not architecture because at that point mm. of time, architecture is architects almost invisible in this case. Engineer and characters yeah. work together. Yeah, so so I think that that's that's what makes it interesting, right? I mean, mm. let's say if you're given a project like that, like what would you do as an architect? I think that, that would be a very interesting challenge. Like of course you're not going to add, you know. Uh, a titanium facade on a TNT substation, <laughs> but but I think it would be it would be very interesting to to see what architecture can bring mm. in those kind of situation where the budget is kind of non-existent, the design expectation is non-existent, like the architect is not needed. Like I, I find that situation would be extremely interesting to be able to work in. Um, yeah. I, I don't know, like, 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 unless I get a project like that, but I, I don't know. But I, I think it could be very, like, I, I don't have any, mm. you know, am, ambitions to design, mm. uh, you know, 55 story building or whatever. Like, I, I don't really feel the don't. need to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But because I'm really interested to design something that is not architecturally needed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> then the client might might be asking, why the hell am I hiring you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that could be very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But 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 when I look at like a Mies Mies building, it's kind of industrial in a sense that it doesn't it doesn't it's, it seems like very engineering, but there's yeah. a certain taste in it that the flavor yeah. from Mies. Um and, and since you mentioned about music, I, I, I thought to, to show these three photos yeah. that you sent. It's very nice because two of them are actually from Beatles. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the middle one, sorry, do you mind to, to, to share? Yeah, so, so, so basically uh, when, when Gary uh, well, talked about the idea of this, this conversation, uh, I was supposed to send some images 
I don't know, of work or sketches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? But, but I thought it would be interesting to share some images that I kind of really, really like. Uh, that, I mean, either in the past or today that I look at uh, kind of a lot. Mm. Uh, the, the, the first image is the cover of the Beatles uh, album uh, Revolver. Uh, and the Beatles is a, I mean, we can spend the whole night talking about the Beatles <laughs> if you want. But mm. the, the Beatles is a very interesting thing for me. And it's like of all the things that has been influential, I think they are somehow the most important or influential thing to me. Mm. Um, like I stumbled across them somehow in like 95 or 96, because at that time, I think there was the, the Beatles anthology series mm. of albums and film coming out. And there was this kind of new appraisal of their work. So I got into them. And it was very strange because even my parents were not into the Beatles because they even they were kind of already after or, you know, like like their teenage years were in the late 60s, early 70s. So like, mm. like the Beatles was not even part mm. of their teenage years. But it somehow became a very important part of my teenage years. And, and, and I mean, of course, I started with all the hits, mm-hmm. uh, all the Beatles hits that you know. And then I, I bought a cassette. Do you know what a cassette is? A cassette mm-hmm. is a, that you can rewind. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so I bought a cassette of this album, a Revolver. Uh, and it's very, like, even the cover, the cover design is, is drawn by this guy called uh, Klaus Vorman, who's mm-hmm. an artist slash musicians. So he drew the, the portrait of the Beatles. But what was interesting was also this kind of collage technique where the whole thing is a mixture of line drawings, but also images of the Beatles that he cut out of magazines and newspapers. And he was kind of making this composition which are coming across as of completely different scales, right? Mm. And it was, it was a very intriguing image. And then when you listen to the actual album, like Revolver had none of the typical Beatles hit songs, right? Right. But it was a it was a really mind-blowing album. It's probably like the greatest pop album of all time. Uh, and the key thing here is pop, right? The Beatles were extremely experimental and were into the avant-garde. Mm-hmm. But then they never let those kind of experimental tendencies to kind of uh, take away from their poppiness. Right? So, mm-hmm. so they were able to kind of be extremely experimental and also extremely at the same time. And I thought that was very interesting. We had other bands who were more radical, but then mm. they lose the, the pop edge, who had, who, or mm. bands who were very pop. And so they were kind of balanced. And, and I think what influenced me about the Beatles is this kind of um, risk-taking, this kind of attitude of, let's say, mm. let's just try it out. Or, mm. or, or if people is doing that thing, let's do something else. You know? mm, mm. If people is playing like the fastest kind of guitar solo in the world, or let's play a guitar solo backwards. So, so, so they were always kind of taking conventions and you know, turning it upside down, turning it around. But at the same time, they're still kind of very pop, right? Yeah. So, 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 so that's, what, that's what really tricked me and has always been kind of influential because, because they were able to combine this kind of avant-garde tendencies with kind of, you know, being very accessible at the same time. You know? Right. So, so um, please, please, please forgive my ignorance and, and also no, yeah, innocence in this case because I, I, I tend to see them with queens, both of them from, from, from England. But, but Beatles, they are rather doing different things with the low culture in a way that the things that people don't see. And queens is tend to things that do the things that people see, but I do it differently. 
So this kind of difference is much more like a Hawaii culture and low culture, but Beatles is kind of take inspiration from everyday life. So it's like, uh, I don't know, songs like Strawberry Farm or Penny Lanes. So those are the things yeah, that I mean, are very, very ordinary. Yeah, and I think they were very accessible, right? Mm. They, they were very, like you can appreciate them as this very experimental group of musicians, but you could also appreciate them for like, you know, children's song. Right. So I think that they, they kind of straddle, you know, the the whole kind of spectrum of, of things. And I find that very fascinating. Mm. Um, the one in the middle is a, is the cover of the album by New Order, uh, and it's called Power, Corruption and Lies. Uh, that image is actually a painting by um, uh, it's a French painter called uh, Henry, Henry Latour. But it was kind of appropriated by Peter Saville, who is the graphic designer. And I mean, it's such a beautiful image and he has this kind of very classical connotation. But then the, you, you see there's this kind of uh, graphic thing on the top right-hand corner that suddenly you know, makes you realize that it's not a classical thing, but it's a contemporary interpretation. Right, right. Uh, and also the pairing of that image to the title, Power, Corruption and Lies, and then you show this kind of very attractive flower, very mm. beautiful, right? But mm -hmm. you see that some of the flowers on top are very, are very kind of in the prime, and then you see this kind of decaying flower at, at mm. the bottom. So mm. somehow it's this idea that power, you know, seduces you and then eventually it, it, kind of, it kills you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it corrupts, you know. And, and right. I think that the, the pairing, like if he were to put Power, Corruption and Lies, with a picture of, I don't know, riots or a picture of, uh, you know, violence, then mm. it would be kind of very immediate and obvious. Right? Very pop. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, but when he put that title with that image, it, it, it makes you this, it gives you this kind of double thing. You know? mm. Like, wow, okay. So, so things that you look at is not necessarily what they appear to be, you know. So, mm. so and I, I, I find great kind of uh, interest in artists who are able to do that. Where, where you might say, oh, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful image of flowers and stuff. What is it called? Power, corruption, mm. and lies. Mm. So I think there's like a the kind of contrast, or maybe the complementary nature of the image and the title is very interesting to me. And, and it's like I look at that, I, I look at that image a lot because as a reminder of you know all these kind of attractive, you know, beautiful things might lead you to. Mm. the dark side you know, so basically. all this like fame money they will yeah. it, 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 yeah, you yeah, cannot yeah, go yeah. over so you you have yeah, to yeah, stay yeah. stay at the right place i think it, rem it reminds me of uh, a lot of paintings like like uh, like a genre of still life it's just still you know it's and, 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 yeah yeah and back then back then a lot of paintings perhaps it's like uh, 19th century or even 17th or 18th century they do have you know the deers the meat the fishes they will lie on the table yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. so it, yeah. it reminds me that kind of the, the extravagance of life is just limited yeah, yeah. at that point of time. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and then, uh, the, sorry, the third, third album also for yeah. Beatles. The third one is very interesting. The third one is a, is an artwork called 100 White Albums. Uh, so the White Album, I mean, I guess people know, the White Album is, uh, well, it's the Beatles, uh, I don't remember the number, it's probably their third last album. So the album is actually called The Beatles, right? Uh, but it's called the White Album because the cover is completely kind of white and empty. Mm. Uh, and, and it was very interesting because the album that came before, uh, the White Album was, uh, you have the Magical Mystery Tour, but then you have, before that you have Sgt. Pepper's. Mm. And I guess people know Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts yes. Club Band. 
that very colorful kind of garish cover, right? Yeah. And suddenly, uh, a year later, they came out with this kind of completely empty, blank thing. And if you look at the music inside, it was also a kind of a reaction where it's no longer extravagant, it's no longer uh, lushly produced, it's more stripped down, it's more raw, it's more basic. It's like a return to the basics kind of thing. Mm. Uh, uh, and it's probably my favorite Beatles album because it has some of the best Beatles album. It also has some of the most horrible, ridiculous Beatles songs, right? <laughs> but somehow together they work, you know. They work because you have this kind of absolutely great songs complemented by kind of completely throwaway things, but they were kind of at that time operating at that, like where they could just make you know horrible songs, put it together and you can sell mm. 20 million records. Or mm. So it's my favorite album. And, and this is an artwork by this artist, a uh, Beatles fan called uh, Rutherford Chang, and he's based in New York, or Chicago, I think New York. Mm. Where, so this is an, so he, he is a collector, he collects uh, the Beatles white album. So as of now he has like, remember the number but he has hundreds and hundreds of copies of the Beatles uh, white album and here he puts together 100 of his favorite copies right mm. as an image mm. and what is interesting is that after a while across time that kind of pristine cover image of the of the album has each of them has become very different you know some of them have been exposed to the sun mm. some of them uh, people have been drawing on it because it's empty uh, people put sticker, people write their name, mm. people put their coffee cup, people take out their cigarettes. So over time, this kind of white, empty cover became almost like a canvas or invitation for people to work on, right? So, mm. so and, and I, have a, I have a copy, which is not even white, but it's kind of off yellowish, right? So, so, right, so, right. It, 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 so it becomes a very interesting, uh, and it becomes almost like a, like, a, like a very beautiful painting or, or mm. kind of an abstract you know, mm. art thing. But it's actually just a putting together, you know, a set of album covers. So I think what I like about it is that you can take something which is very banal, you can take something mm. which is very repetitive, right? But by putting it together and by allowing very subtle nuances and very subtle differences to come across, they create this kind of very beautiful, somehow very lively uh, image. Yeah, and 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 because of the uh, the images that you send following later, we will we will we will show that, and it comes in a grid form, so it, mm -hmm. it, it appears to be very boring, very um, ubiquitous, very ambiguous kind of thing. But in fact, if you look at the ten, it's a ten by ten grid, right? So it, it makes yeah, up so, hundred. Yeah. So yeah. so when you look at closely, look at this closely, there are a lot of things that we tend to think we don't don't like, like mm -hmm. coffee stain marking yeah. you know with with a little yellowish with you know some exposed and things it, it, it comes to my point that it's very interesting we, we it's, it's how how we perceive beauty because uh, yeah. beauty is a promise of happiness like Stan Hall says <laughs> because you feel happier about it because you think it's happy uh, it, it makes you happy because it's beautiful and things so Maybe we can talk about it later. I believe that we have a long, long day for yeah. long, long, long time for it later. But um, maybe I can catch up back to the practical side in a way that um, let's talk about you know being trained in architecture school. We tend to think that the only way is to practice in architecture firm or be uh, an architect, architect. I would say. Mm -hmm. But how do you see in a contemporary designers nowadays? We have freelancer. You you are not limited to simply drawing. I mean, they are graphic designers, illustrators, um, 
people people who submit drawings or uh, the lead designer and and things or, or business manager nowadays we, we seem to be much more complicated i don't know maybe, maybe back then in 30 years or 40 years back architectural practice is uh, I, I, maybe almost the same i'm not sure right but but how do you see in this case in in our current uh, more uh, epoch in a way that people you you see your students they 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 might be heading into another direction as well even though they are still doing architecture and especially you mentioned uh, Singapore Memorial Competition. You work with Zazi, you work with uh, Kaya Studio, uh, Brian. So it is, at this point of time, you not necessary to have an office called Office ABC to have all the people to, you know, to be employed by this company. But in fact, you can work in a freelance and rather freedom. In this case, you can work with different kinds of talent, different kinds of people. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a different kind of, of working. Let's say, I mean, let's say if I were to compare uh, like myself to kind of my, my parents, like my mm. parents were both kind of government servants. Right? And I think they spent their whole kind of working life working in kind of one job for like years and years and years right. and, and being, being very stable, being very secure and, you know, uh, and I think that was the kind of general expectation uh, back then. Uh, maybe today there's more uh, options. I'm not sure whether there's more options or whether uh, kind of times are completely different that you are forced to go into different modes of operation. Mm. Uh, but for example, like for me, there's always kind of a restless, like I teach, right? But there's always this restless thing that I also want to do something else. I want to do competitions or I want to write mm. or whatever. That there's this restlessness, which I don't think exists in kind of my parents' generation. Mm. There's no like for them, work is you go to the office, you work, you 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 get your you know your your monthly thing, and then you you and you work and you get promotion. Mm. But it was never about boredom. It was never about being experimental. It was never about um, trying different things. It was simply mm. that you need to put bread on the table. And I think you know, extremely grateful to them for for doing that, and and. and but I think maybe today there's also this kind of restlessness of people really asking the question of, you know, what do you really want to be, right? Or, mm. or how do you really want to practice? You know, do you really want to, like, I mean, when I graduated, like the only way that I see architecture is that you graduate, you work in an office, you get your license, mm. you run a practice and, and that's mm, it. Right? Mm, mm. But now, nowadays there seems to be kind of so many more things, uh, which is kind of opening up the, the 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 way that people practice, and of course, I mean, if you talk about opportunity, that is a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you talk about security, and if you talk about stability, that's a that's a different story mm. as well. Uh, but I guess uh, like collaboration, like like I do competitions in collaboration with, with Zazi, Karia, and and you know, and, and and other kind of peers, is because I find it more interesting to kind of work on ideas with other people. Rather than simply saying okay, this is my idea, this is what this is what I, I'm gonna do, this is how it should be done. Mm. So collaboration was more to that it becomes a more interesting process of dialogue, conversation, etc. So so I, I think those are the different ways of of working today. Uh, but at the same time, even when we are collaborating, we're not I feel that like we're not really doing something completely new because you know we're collaborating, but we're still participating in an architectural competition. Mm -hmm. Fashion thing. I mean, if you if you're talking about new modes of practice, um, like a very interesting practice that I'm I think I'm sure some people know is there's this office in in Belgium called Rotor, 
R-O-T-O-R. And they work in this kind of field where they salvage kind of construction waste mm. uh, and things like doors, uh, you know, light fittings, uh, like everything, like tiles, brickwork, like they salvage the most mundane thing you can imagine. Mm. Then they were somehow able to kind of repurpose or, uh, you know, recompose these things into new product so it 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 goes into this it goes into this uh, cyclical economy where instead of making new products mm. products of building which are demolished goes into building new things right mm. and, and and they don't kind of recycle these things by breaking them down and and melting them or whatever but they recycle them as is so it, what it does is that suddenly aesthetic is no longer a choice uh, that you decide i want this or i want that but right. it simply it becomes an outcome of what is available, you know. Let's say if I put together a very quiche kind of chandelier from the 70s mm. with kind of a fake pine from the 80s and whatever, and I put it together and I end up with this kind of completely new aesthetic. Right? So mm. I think, so they work in this kind of economic model where building parts are disassembled and recycled, but also it's leading into kind of a new aesthetic. And, mm. I, and I find that is kind of, if you want to talk about new modes of practice, they're doing something for me, which is kind of new, mm. right? which is not, not, you know, just me and Zazie discussing ideas for a competition, right? which is not new, right? It's just, it's just a different way of collaborating. But I think people like Rotor uh, is, is kind of really opening up other areas. You know, and suddenly they, are they designers? You know, are they mm. contractors? Mm. Are they are they building managers? They they they're really blurring this kind of distinction, uh, and it's it's very extremely fascinating. And I think those kind of things could perhaps be things that become more and more relevant in in, in today's uh, climate, where you don't want to be building new things all the time, and and maybe you want to put a cap on the production mm. of, of new new stuff. Right. Especially, oh, yes, you, 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 you have spoken a, a very good point about this kind of a circular economy. And also, we are living in an age where just simply look at Uber or Grab. It, it's easily wipe out a lot of uh, taxi industry. Yeah. I, I won't say wipe out. I, I, I would say it's a wipe out in a traditional way, but it changed the landscape yeah. of taxi drivers. Correct. And also, you know, the Speedy, I believe you, you yourself would visit like CD store. Speedy store just gone because of Spotify, yeah. because of, you know, Correct. a lot of yeah. application. And in this case, perhaps it's a good time to reflect. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, conventional or traditional or professional architects is not relevant. It's just that there is another way to look at it because... Mm. But, 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 but I, think, I think that's why when we were before the conversations, we were talking about uh, Rudovsky's architecture without mm, architecture. Mm, right? mm. So, and that's why I find what, what you're talking about, I think it becomes very interesting, but maybe it's... It's coming to that again now, you know, architecture without architects, but mm. not without people who study architecture or people with architectural knowledge, but without architects in the traditional sense of what an architect is and does. Mm. So, 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 so I think that's why I find your your research or your the thesis that you're doing is very interesting, and it could open up this possibility of how do you bring in the cyclical economy, how do mm. you bring in you know uh, sharing, and 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 how do you bring in this idea of disruptions to the existing kind of uh, status quo. So, yeah, so so I, I think I think I think that's much more fascinating than kind of me and Zazi collaborating on a competition. No, no, no. Still, <laughs> I think, because in a yeah. way, in a way, we're, mm. we're still prescribing or we're still subscribing to this kind of outmoded form, maybe. Mm -hmm. Because I I think I'm just doing the you know 
I just doing the things that inspired me a lot. I mean, you know, thesis is much more like a personal story, I would say. So I, I read this book, uh, Rob Moore. He was writing about money. So when I was reading it, and I find that it's very true because perhaps in his writing, he was saying that in this world, there's a ratio of 80 and 20. So 20% of people, they are rich. I mean, rich and poor is, is another story we can define later or, or next time. But ten, uh, we, we tend to think that architects only work for rich people, right? And then because if let's say the client don't have money, then what's the point to hire you? Because they can actually do it for themselves or they make more money to hire you kind of thing. So it became, uh, architecture became like a, like, a, like a privilege, like a status, right? It's like, if I wanted to build a house before that, I must have money. And then the money is, is another different thing that would you like to say is a huge money or small money? So that's another, you know, that's another totally new story. But you did mention about this kind of mundane and uh, everyday nurse. So it reminds me, it's, it's, it matches so well. It comes to me that you sent me Vermeer drawing, a painting. Mm. <laughs> so maybe we can talk about it because compared Vermeer and Rembrandt, Rembrandt is much more on, you know, regions, on officials. They are high, high class. But of course, in the later years, Rembrandt is much more on, on the, you know, humble lifestyle. But Vermeer, you look at, uh, my personal favorite is uh, Milk, Milk Mate. Yeah, also, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, per earring, yeah. that's another story. But maybe we could talk about this Vermeer's painting. Yeah, also, okay. we so, so, Dali here. <laughs> yeah, okay. So maybe we can talk about Dali first. Uh, like, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of Dali, uh, but this image on the left is very in, in, kind of interesting. Uh, the, the, the photograph of Dali. Uh, I think it's a photograph taken by this photographer called uh, Philip Hanselman or Philip Hasselman. Hmm. Uh, it's called Dali Atomicus. Uh, it's actually a stage photograph uh, that they took of Dali in, in, in his studio. Uh, but uh, this photograph is very important because w when I was a kid, um, like my parents bought me uh, this set of encyclopedia. You know? mm. uh, uh, so even you know, when I, from the age of four or five, I was browsing through encyclopedias. And, and, and in a way, that's what made me kind of a, such a geek, right? Because you're given an encyclopedia when you're four. So, so this encyclopedia, it's called uh, the ABC Children's Learning Illustrated Encyclopedia or something like that. And, and it, it, yeah, it's like, it's like for dummies, right? But, but mm. it's very interesting because it says, uh, let's say, so it goes A and it would pair A with kind of uh, Alexander the Great. Mm. And, and, and R would be Rembrandt, for example. Mm. And D would be Dali, right? So it, even though it's for kids, it's very curated to kind of expose you to all these wonderful things. So instead of saying <laughs> D, right, right. instead of saying D and duck, right? Or right, D right, and right. donkey, right. it says D and Dali, right? And then the <laughs> and then there's this photo. So that photo, I remember looking at it when I was kind of four or five, was kind of, it's, it's a crazy photo, right? Because- Right. Like, you see the clip flying around. <laughs> yeah, like I'm four and how the hell does that happen? You know, why is, why is that? Why is that person floating? You know, why are those chairs floating? So it, anyway, that photo, which I often looked at as a kid, somehow it tells you that, you know, beyond all of this thing that you know around you, there exists this kind of weird, very strange, whimsical. very surreal, whimsical thing mm. that maybe one day you'll find out about. You know, so so I, 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 that image is very important because, as a kid, I look at it and I say, well, actually, the world is very strange. Like there, there, there must be all sort of funny things if they're cats, you know, flying around and mm. stuff like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's Dali. So I'm not necessarily a fan of Dali, uh, but, but that photograph of him is stuck kind of in my, in my mm. memory. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that second photo is, is a painting by Vermeer, like you said, of Delft. So when I was in Holland, I stayed in Delft. Mm. Uh, and Delft today actually looks like that. So it still looks right. like that. Right. Uh, and of course, Vermeer is very well known for his very quiet, very reflective painting of Dutch interiors. So like you said, mm. the, the milkmaid, below the pearl earrings. So those are his very well-known paintings. But he, paint, uh, living in Delft, he, he was fascinated by this kind of light and shadow and, and mm. kind of uh, what happens inside this kind of Dutch uh, houses. But he made very few painting of the town of Delft itself. Mm. He made very few kind of outdoor paintings. And mm. this is one, one of them. Uh, and when I was in Delft, the town still looks like that. You know, if you were to remove those, uh, those, those ladies right, and replace mm. it with uh, hipster architecture students walking around, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much mm. what Delft is. So in a way, it, it's, it's a kind of, a, it's a very personal, very close thing to me having, I mean, I almost kind of lived in that painting. You know, because mm. I, lived in, I lived in like a 17th century house, you know, uh, uh, and it, the town looks like that still. Mm. Um, so that's Vermeer. And, 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 and Vermeer's painting, if you go to the, to the, the Rijksmuseum in, uh, in Amsterdam, the paintings are actually very small. They're very small, uh, but they're extremely rich. And you mentioned Rembrandt. Uh, in the book that had the Dali uh, photo when I was a kid, there was also a, a R is for Rembrandt, right? And then mm. there's a very small, small photograph of his painting, uh, The Night Watch is his famous painting. Right, right, right. And when I was in Holland, uh, that painting was just taken out of storage. He was in storage for uh, 14 years or something because they were renovating. Re restoring, the right, right. So when I was there, luckily, it was like the first time the painting is kind of on show after 14 years of being... And I saw it, and it was this huge painting, right? Exactly, so yes. It was, it, was, it was a very sh shocking thing, because I always remember that painting is this very tiny thumbnail in the book. Yeah. And suddenly, it's like, it's huge. So that's the Rembrandt thing. Uh, the third image is, is Magritte. Uh, Magritte is a Belgian uh, painter. Uh, I mean, I guess you can say that he's a surrealist, uh, and mm. he was based in, Bru in Brussels. And, and after... Uh, after kind of my studies in, in Holland, I, I worked in, in Belgium a bit and I stayed in Brussels. So then there was this kind of Magritte museum where he was showing all of his work. Right? And the thing about Magritte is that that picture is kind of, when you first look at it, it's very normal. It's like a street, uh, a mm. house mm. with a lamb in front of it, right? And that's it, right? It's nothing there. But then suddenly you realize, but the sky behind is actually daytime. Mm. And then the image in front is actually nighttime. Right. Right. So, so it's an image that at first seems very mundane. Like, like there's nothing there. It's not even kind of a highly skilled painting or whatever, but it has that kind of surreality that throws you off balance. And that's what Magritte always does in his painting. You know, that, that mm. it, at first it looks very normal. Like what, what is he trying to say? And then suddenly you get this kind of shock when you realize that it's depicting both night and day. Mm. And, uh, mm. and, uh, and this painting was actually influential. Oh, the series of painting called uh, The Empire of Light was actually in, if you remember, if you know the, the movie, the horror movie, The Exorcist, that, that famous image of the, the guy standing in front of the house with the light coming down, mm. that one was influenced by this Magritte painting. Mm. So you, you go from this kind of, you know, a whimsical Magritte painting and it's inter reinterpreted into this kind of image of horror right so, so again it is is giving you something that is mundane you know nothing there mm. a bit surreal you can interpret it into something very spooky mm. you know 
Mm. If you look at it, and then you start to wonder, yeah, but why is that those two windows behind the trees? Why are they mm. on? Like, mm. is there someone watching from there? You know, so it, 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 at first it's nothing, and suddenly you're like, this photo painting is actually damn mm. scary. You know, it's like the scariest painting on this page. <laughs> so the like, the ordinary yeah. painting is no longer ordinary now. Yeah, it's no longer. It suddenly becomes like, oh, like. Like you don't want to be looking at Magritte stuff for a long right. time. It, gives, it starts to gives you nightmares and stuff. Right, right. And and, and whereas, whereas if you look yeah. at Dali, right, it's weird from the it's immediately weird, right? It's like it gives you the weird, the weird yeah. immediately. Yes. But with uh with 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 Magritte, the weirdness comes later. Like it's revealed slowly, you know. So it's like a if 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 I could compare, it's like two horror movie. One is straight in your face. One is like. More relate to your yeah, under yeah. your bed kind of thing yeah, is yeah. much more scary. Correct. Yeah, and one is one is like in your face, and then after the end you laugh, laugh about it. Right, one right. is very slow, very quiet, and then you cannot sleep for two weeks. You know, <laughs> so that's very true. Because yeah. because um because in Glasgow, Calvin Grove Museum do have one uh, Dali's painting. It's actually a Christ painting. So this Christ painting is a huge one. So the you know he 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 portrayed Christ on top like uh, on the cross. But the thing is that it's, it, it portrays a certain mystery in a way that you never see Christ's face because it's looking from the top. So you can yeah. only see the hair and all his body. So that's kind of straightforward. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you you should guessing or whatnot because paintings are so interesting. You have to slowly depict it in, yeah. you know, in, in a different way. And yeah. Yeah. You, you did mention Night Watch uh, by Rembrandt. And I went to Rick's museum when I was there they do have a huge glass box for it when they yeah, are restoring. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, and yeah. and it's so huge, and they need a you know like a like a leaf to 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 trace the drawing and, and stuff because yeah. they need to scan it or whatnot. So it reminds and, and me and of you, go, you, you go you go to the Vermeer section and they're absolutely it's tiny. so small. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I look at uh, Mute Maid. It's so small. It's just yeah, like, it's so tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so tiny, and it reminds me of uh, Rembrandt. Rembrandt do have a student called Nicholas Mays. So he 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 produced a lot of eavesdroppers series. So he draw mm. like a little girl listen to like gossip or whatnot in the staircase or whatnot. So it's a very like you say it's a very mundane life. It's a banal yeah. life in a way that it's just normal thing. What what what's so surprised mm. about it? But if you mm. look at the story behind, you will realize that it's not normal at all. It's it's much yeah. more like, you know, husband and wife they've been cheating. Yeah. You know, so so this man is listen to it. So you, you, this kind of story just makes you realize that. Ordinary yeah. is not no longer ordinary, and you don't I mean, mention it's like it's like serial killers, no? Like serial yeah. killers are, are often very mundane people. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, and, and then suddenly you know, things are yeah. not what they are. Yeah, we we are all. And John Berger mentioned in this book called About Looking. Um, there's this particular chapter I re really remember. He was talking about primitive and professional. Before professional, we are all primitive. We are all basic, right? But until a certain point, we we became famous or whatnot. That's where we we, we call ourselves so-called professional. But this kind of primitive, we 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 shouldn't forget that a lot of people they are all primitive, like architecture with the architects, the craftsmen. Mm -hmm. They are non-pedigree people. Yeah. Yeah. So I I maybe I can would uh, throw one last question before we move on. You did mention this kind of ABC. I wonder what is V? Is it V for? Vermeer or V for Vendetta? Can you recall? What, 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 do, you, what do you mean? The, the, the book, ABC, you know, D for Dali, R for Rembrandt. Ah. How about V, right? <laughs> do you remember V is who? Uh, 
I don't think it's Vermeer. <laughs> no, it was not. No, it was not. Okay. Uh, v was. Uh... No, I can't remember. <laughs> quite, maybe quite it was get a V. Maybe. maybe V was volcano, and they they show you uh, how like uh, volcano. Because it's not necessarily about people. They they vary it up, you know. So, so you could, so certain like um, like uh, like D is Dali, right? But C is like crocodiles. So so so, so <laughs> it, 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 just, it just exposes you to this kind of crazy uh, mixture of knowledge. It's almost like uh, yeah, pre-internet, you know. Yeah, but we're so surprised that C is a let's say it's a, it's a crocodile and then D is Dali. Yeah, it's, like, oh shit! Yeah, it's, it's like the jump from crocodiles to Dali is like. It's like really the, 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 the children must be like um. It's it sounds like I must know Dali as equal as I yeah, know yeah, yeah. crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe true, right? Maybe you should know you know these mm. things that you should treat them. But uh, yeah, what I'm trying to do now is trying to track a copy of that encyclopedia so I can buy it for my kid. <laughs> uh, because I, I have those still those copies in my my parents place but they are they are kind of eaten by termites and whatever mm. but my mission now is to find a copy of that so that my kid is exposed to this kind of wonderful uh, thing from a very young age mm, mm, mm. right so maybe move on to the I, I i don't know but i just thought that this painting may be kind of relevant uh, quite quite relevant to you know a series of painting when i was uh, arranging so this uh, drawing is by uh, rem kohas on the globe of globe project right so would you like to tell us about this? Why, why, why this uh, drawing in particular? Okay, uh, well, it's actually not by Ram Kolhas. Uh, mm. This painting, which is City of the Captive Globe, uh, uh, was actually by uh, Madelon Riesendorf. Mm. Uh, 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 and, and so that, it's as if, like, Kolhas was writing Delirious New York, and, and she was the one, let's say all those, Paintings in Delirious New York was painted by her. Mm. Uh, so this is a painting uh, that is well. I mean, if you, if you know Delirious New York, it's about how um, the grid of Manhattan, right, which mm. is this kind of very, very banal, very matter of fact organizing principle, uh, enables this kind of very weird diversity of things to happen. So you have an underlying system which is kind of very seemingly rigid and repetitive. But with individual interpretations, they become, they could, you know, lead to kind of a, a lot of sur surreal situations. Because once you start inhabiting the grid with, you know, funny things, you still have the control of the grid, but the kind of kind of uh, completely exuberant expression of the mm. all sort of things. And, and what is also interesting about this painting uh, is that it, it's almost it's like a history of architecture because you see uh, Corbusier's. Uh, 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 Plan Gosan mm. uh, skyscraper, you see Malevich uh, tec uh, tectonic, uh, you see Mises Tower, you see uh, Hans Sharon's work, you mm. see Super Studio. Mm. So, you, so it, it, it becomes this kind of uh, almost like a history of architecture depicted in, in, in kind of one painting. Mm. Uh, and I think it, it goes along with this idea of that even if you have a banal kind of repetitive system in place, it still, uh, it still kind of uh, leads to this kind of very crazy uh, ex expression. Mm, uh, mm. So Madelon Riesendorf, uh, the painter who, who, who did this painting, was uh, was one of the four founding partners of OMA. Mm. Uh, they were founded by Renkul Haas, uh, Madelon Riesendorf, uh, Elia Zenghelis, and, and Zoe Zenghelis. Uh, so 
uh, it was very interesting. And also when, when, I, was when I was studying in, in, in Holland, uh, she came to give a lecture. Oh. And it, uh, in our school, it's a very small school, uh, uh, the, the Belache Institute, which is this kind of postgraduate school within the TU Delft University. Mm. Yeah. So the, the Belache Institute is very small. So we had about probably 30 students per batch. Uh, so we have uh, prominent speakers coming to give uh, talks and, and lectures throughout the year. Like all, we had all GRT, we had all these things. But, but whenever the speaker comes, right, the students uh, get to sign up for a dinner with the speakers. So you can right. sign up, oh, I want, uh, but then you have to fill up your space very quickly. Lah. And I signed up to go to have dinner with, with Madeleine Wiesenbach mm. because I'm, I'm like a fan of mm -hmm. her work and, and of OMA, right? Uh, so there were like four students, a few uh, faculty, and then her. So we were, you know, eating and, and we were like really. Like they were imagine, talking about. Yeah, I can imagine yeah, it's very intimate. It's, 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 it's very intimate, but at the same time, right. it's very intimidating, like for us. Right? <laughs> because, right, right. Because she's this person who's kind of known, right? And you have admired her work, and then there she is, kind of eating, you know, potato salad in front of you, right? And so, so, so we were kind of chatting away, just openly talking and then towards the end of the dinner she's like right now who's going to ask me about delirious new york <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh or, or, or she said oh uh okay so are we talk, are we going to talk about delirious new york now so that was very funny right like, like as if she's like anticipating or she she kind of knew all along that all we wanted to know was delirious <laughs> about delirious, and, and those drawings in delirious new york and then of course everybody started asking about the painting and and she said this very wonderful thing she said well they were, they were working on the book together. So Ram was writing his kind of manifesto mm. on, on, on Manhattanism and whatever. And she was kind of uh, at the same time drawing or making paintings of her view on New York. So, so, mm. so she, she was not kind of making paintings based on his text or uh, as per his instruction or whatever, but they were both doing this parallel investigation where he was doing the text kind of architectural, you know, exploration. Mm. And she was using painting as a medium of trying to understand the same thing, which is New York City, right? Mm. And just so happens that this kind of visual output and this written output come, somehow fits together and becomes the, you know, the book, the mm. New York. So I thought that was a very interesting thing where she was like, oh, no, well, we, she was trying to understand Manhattan by painting it, by making mm. drawings, mm. whereas Ram, Ram was trying to understand it by writing about mm. it, by interviewing architects and stuff like that. She was kind of doing this kind of very personal exploration through painting. So I thought, well, Painting as a form of research, right? Mm. Uh, whereas uh, you, you imagine text and data collection and interviews as a form of research. She was doing something equally personal, uh, and I think that it, it's a very beautiful painting. Right? Mm. Even if and there's this kind of surreal quality to it, even if you're not an architecture student, I think you can appreciate it as a kind of very uh, provocative uh, kind of image. Yeah, it's, it seems almost uh, detached from the so-called like busyness in New York Street and or lifestyle. Yeah. It seems to be like a architecture in this case became like a product. It's like all yeah. the products on on shelf. You know, each uh, each platform you 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 got. Yeah, you could almost you could almost choose which one you want. Yeah, which one you want, you can buy it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's very interesting. And um, we 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 have uh, you know talk about architectural practice and also your your inspiration with the paintings. But we, I think this question also sort of throwback with the idea of the practice uh, in a way mm -hmm. that I'm not sure how, how about young students they think because I have not come across a lot. Um, so 
you like like you said, the 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 the, the time is changing, and perhaps the, the practice is no longer gonna be same, uh, with the metaphor of the circular economy and things. But for you, um, so from from the from the last uh, crit session, so uh, Ashi Ashi mentioned also the practice. You know, like you never you never learn Finnish about architecture because architecture can, can cannot be learned is 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 by 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 teaching right by 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 receiving like education from someone it's much more on uh, personal personal perception rather you you go and learn by yourself so do you do you think that you know students if let's say they come out they are not doing the architecture architecture so i i'm not sure if you came across any students they say oh i don't want to do architecture but i wanted to do like you like I want to do competition. I want to do teaching, but I don't feel like I wanted to do, you know, drawings or or, or architecture with engineers or big drawings with all A one or A O drawings. Yeah. Mm. And and in this case, perhaps this is kind of relate to later, you know, topic talking about um, our perception of architectural education. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, the impression that I get. Uh, from most of my students is that I think everybody seems to be very eager to kind of go out and, mm. and work in an office and, and build things. Uh, I mean, which I think is, is, is fair, which I think is kind of good. Um, and I think which shows kind of a certain uh, faith in, in the kind of possibilities of the profession, right? Uh, it shows a certain kind of optimism with how architecture can maybe continue being the way it, it, it is today, uh, I, I've not really. I mean, I okay. I, I know that maybe more students who are, let's say, maybe if you go study abroad, where mm. I think there are different kind of exposure and, and expectation, then maybe you come home and you feel that the the kind of typical practice mm. is kind of not not for you. Right? Mm. And, and in a way, I, I also feel started feeling that way. Once I was exposed to this kind of education in, in, in Holland where architecture can almost be anything you want. Mm. Right? Whereas before, when I was kind of here, I like my thing was always that, okay, you build architecture you know, like that. Uh, but of course, at, at some point, I became kind of bored or disenchanted with that. And that, that's why I went for further studies and whatever. So, but by and large, I think at least among the students that I teach, Mm. There seem to be this kind of really still a willingness to, uh, I mean, okay, there are some who are kind of oh, taking time out to really figure out what they want, which I right. think is good, right? Right. Mm. But I think there are also, I mean, you cannot deny kind of also the reality of needing to, you know, be employed and, you know, uh, uh, make an income and stuff like that. So, I don't know, I mean... Yeah, I think those are the different choices that people make. Uh, uh, but also maybe things come like, 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 like I always wanted to teach. Like I said, I wanted to be mm -hmm. a historian or a teacher. Mm. But after graduating, I said I wanted to teach. And most of my teachers were saying that, oh, maybe you should work first. You know? Right, right. Uh, and of course, at first I was, I was kind of annoyed. You know, like, oh, no, no, I want to teach. Like, you think I'm not qualified to teach or whatever. Right, right, right. But, but, <laughs> but after a while, after kind of going out to work and having more experience, I feel uh, that if I had started teaching immediately out of school, I feel that I would be kind of uh, not fully kind of equipped 
to, to kind of you know teach uh, in, in that sense only because let's say not to say because the more you work the more knowledge you have right but i feel that the more you work the more critical you become and the more kind of uh, dissatisfied you are with the status quo and i think that helps when it comes to teaching uh uh knowing how things are practiced and realizing that they are wrong or knowing how things are practiced and realizing that that's not the way you want to practice uh is i think important uh mm. so so i always like to say that let's say working in practice uh, let's say i worked in corporate practice right mm, mm. uh like i always like to say that working in corporate practice doesn't necessarily uh give me an idea of what i want to do but it gives me it, 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 it gives it, a clearer it, understanding right it gives me a very clear idea of what i don't want to do and right that's, right that's very right. important i think if, right. like i still now like i still don't know what i'm doing now right but 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 i know what i don't want to be doing right right and and for me personally that's i don't want to be kind of working in a corporate architecture setup i don't want to be working you know on 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 certain kinds of projects or whatever but yeah but i think it gives you that uh experience to see okay this is what i want to do that's not what i want to do and i think that's mm. very important and, and you wouldn't really know that until you've gone through it right? so, that's, so yeah yeah in, in retrospect i'm i'm very glad that i did not kind of start teaching immediately right 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 that's that's very true because um that's probably result sort of relate to um segment freud he, he mentioned about civilization and his discontent he was talking about to be happy is not just do things that make you happy and also try to do try not to do the things that doesn't make you happy so yeah. by by doing the things that you don't want to do makes you clearer that what 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 you really want to do um so i came across this uh tweet 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 by um rotan project so kind of interview like you know con- connects with the students and they think that it's always the balance between te- technology technical sites and also design but i think i think of course there will be priority because i don't really believe in 50 50 balance they might be like 51 and 49 it is never equivalent you know um because i thought that 51% is like that that 1% is because you like that kind of thing so it somehow decide the thing that you like instead of you know saying oh i wanted to do this and also this it doesn't happen because you have you only have one time right one one day only for the for the 24 hours you can only do you know do do certain things um so i thought i thought that's that's nice to um share it because it is somehow resonance with your sharing and we we coming to to the second part is saying that your um your 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 cluster the topic is called background frame and platform and i and from 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 my personal understanding is that background is the context of frame frame is the context of platform or you can say background is the content for frame and then the frame is the content for platform so would you like to tell tell us about this because mm. i think it's very interesting you did mention about this kind of interplay between you know foreground mm. and focus and also you know this kind of interplay between uh, it's a, it's like a figure ground it's like a figure ground diagram mm-hmm. Mm, well yeah i mean uh, the background frame and platform is this uh this so called cluster that i mean we are running this cluster system in the tailors among thesis uh, year i think uh, quite uh, is leading one cluster mm. called artifacts which is extremely interesting mm. uh, i I'm, i'm doing a cluster called uh, background frame and platform and this is the kind of second iteration so we we completed the first round of background frame and platform with the students uh, finishing in 
July. And now we've just finished, uh, I think the presentation that you said in, Gary, was the this was the uh, part the first part of the thesis work under the same cluster uh, again. So background frame and platform. Uh, I don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. Rather, it's a question of how do you look at how do you make architecture that uh, is not so much about itself. You know that it recedes into the background. Uh, it, it becomes a background and frame and platform for kind of everyday life or ever changing program mm -hmm. and. Uh, Possibilities. So it's about architecture that is kind of open to possibilities, open to accommodating changes across time. Right. So I, I don't have an answer yet. I don't know. Mm. Maybe after two rounds, there'll be a more clear. Uh, <laughs> like I, I, like you said, background is. Like, I don't know. Like maybe background frame and platform. Maybe it's the same thing. Right. Maybe they're contradicting each other. I, I honestly do not know. And that's why it's interesting to kind of do this thing with the students. Um. These two images, the one on the left is a painting by uh, Agnes Martin, uh, a part of a great project, uh, great paintings or great series of drawings. Uh, it's, it's not titled, so they call it untitled. Uh, and it's, it's very fascinating because, again, when you first look at it, it looks very flat, very banal, very repetitive. And then you start noticing things like, oh, those boxes are not actually square, they're rectangles. Yep. And then you, you start noticing things like, oh, actually, those lines are not all straight. Some of them have little anomalies. Like a like, crooked. You know, <laughs> yeah, like crooked. And, and, and I think the more you look at it, the more things you discover uh, about the thing. And then you, I mean, similarly to the Beatles' White Album, and then you, you, like, like you, you, there's this urge to kind of look deeply into it. But there's also there's this urge to kind of add to it, right? What happens if you remove certain lines? Or what mm. happens? If you add certain things within this grid, similarly with the with the image on the right, which is the uh, the kind of uh, the ge geometric uh, construction by uh, by uh, uh, Sol Lewitt, uh, it's the same thing, right? It's it's like repetitiveness, uh, angle. It gives that thing depth. And if you were to walk around it, if you look at it from different angles, you you see different kind of depth. You see different mm. thicknesses. And then you start to imagine things that are not there. Right? Like if you start putting things in there, then it becomes uh, suddenly more intricate and, I don't know, more spatial. And also the way that that photograph is taken is also very clever because half of the image is on the gray background where you see mm. it. Right? Mm. And But the top half is kind of on the white background and it slowly disappears. So I, I think there's this kind of trickery that is very carefully coordinated in that photograph. Uh, which I find extremely fascinating. And, and, and both of these things uh, belongs to this idea of things that seems to be very uh, predictable and very banal and repetitive mm. the first time you see it. But the longer you look at it, you start to see different kinds of things. You know? so, so these are just, mm. again, like I said, these are images that like I'm sharing with Gary, are the images that I look at often because you know, every time I look at it, I find that they showed me different kind of things. They never stopped to be fascinating uh, to me. Mm. Because um, it comes from my point that because, um, again, sorry, sorry to quoting John Berger again. And then, but this time he was writing on ways of seeing. So he was saying, you know, like, 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 I, I understand where he comes from because he was trying to, to compare like digital painting versus the actual painting in gallery. So he was saying that if what's the point if let's say you can get like Mona Lisa painting or prints from the gallery and then you place it in your home, there's no point because you are just buying like a 
like a mass produced painting or poster to, to satisfy yourself when you can't own an actual painting because, because mass produced products, they are rather ubiquitous or mundane. They are banal. They are boring in his way. But I understand that because, but, but in a way we are trying to, I understand your, your, your concern in a way that to make architecture affordable as well. It's not just like you are high class or you know, low class, so you can't buy this kind of thing. So that, that comes to my point, you know, again, I don't know why we just come back to this kind of everydayness. The right one, I always thought is your pavilion that you did in uh, ah. uh, 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 Chaos that, Central. Yeah, well, th that oh. pavilion was also was also done with uh, with Zazie and Karia. Uh, it was called The Grid. And, and that, yeah, that was kind of influenced by, well, not just Solewit, that was kind of influenced by this whole idea of the grid as kind of an enabler of things, uh, yeah. So, so that was an interesting, <laughs> that was an interesting project to do because I remember, like when we presented, uh, because there, there were two installations. In the, uh, it was new artisans uh, mm. uh, uh, by uh, by uh, Mazida and and, and Naziati in UM, right? And, and there were two kind of uh, there were two installations. One was um, this kind of very parametric, a very quite beautiful thing made out of paper. And then there was us, right? So well, we, what kind of Zazi and kind of myself decided to do was like, oh, let's make some columns and some grid, and be done with it, you know. And, and then when when we presented to the to the UM committee, they were like, yeah, so but but like, what's the design? Like, this is it, you know. Right. So so uh, uh, and I. But that thing, that object, when it's, uh, if you see, I mean, I'm sure there are photographs of it somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it's a very, I mean, it's a very surreal thing. It's like, it's almost there, but it's not there, you know? Like, right, like, right. It, it, and then it's this thing that when you see it, you would be asking questions like, is that it, you know? Is, mm. that, is, that, is that design? Is that architecture? And I think that was interesting for us. Um, and even to see the photograph of that installation of, of the grid, right, from different angles, and it just, it's a, it's a very fascinating, and the shadows that it casts on the wall, it's a very fascinating thing. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, it's a favorite kind of, I like that project a lot because it's, it's so, like some people were really like, is that it, you know? Like, right, right, right. <laughs> Like you, you go to architecture school and you design this, you know. Uh, uh, but so, so I, in, in that sense, I, I think it was I me mean, was an interesting. Uh, yeah. Exercise. So this is yeah. one I believe. And then and, and it, it somehow question like is it there? But it's there because yeah. you create something. It's not like you yeah. you can't unsee now. Is is there? But at yeah. the same time, you wanted to unsee it because it's so so. Sorry to say, boring, but it's not boring at all. I mean, you you can choose to ignore it, you know, and and then you can you can ignore it easily. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and I believe you did maybe briefly. We can talk about Venice one, right? You you did something. Uh, uh, is it there's an exhibition in Venice? Oh yeah. So uh, Malaysia the, one, I think. The the Venice exhibition uh, was actually uh, kind of. Well, we were not representing Malaysia or anything. Uh, it was kind of done with uh, like a few friends of mine from school uh, were trying to look into public housing and the spaces around public housing, you know, common spaces in public housing, like staircases, courtyards and whatever. Uh, so there were, uh, I think we had a, a team in Bogota, a team in Mumbai, 
a team in Tehran and uh, in KL. So the, the KL team was again made up of myself with Zazi, uh, Hui Ping, Brian, mm. Uh, mm. Fazli. I mean, the same guys, lah, right? <laughs> uh, so, so basically, we were not representing Malaysia. We were no, n- not that one. That one is horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, is another one called Common, right? Uh, yeah, it's called framing the uh, uh, framing the common. Right. Uh, so we, we were not representing Malaysia. We were just representing kind of ourselves. Um, yeah, I don't think there are photos of it. Uh, mm. So yeah, so so for that exhibition, what we did was to we 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 just ah that one yeah. So so that was a drawing that we did mm. uh, uh, of because we were looking at this project in KL called uh, Raza Mansions, which is right this, right. Housing project, which is now sadly demolished. Uh, so we we made drawings and we documented the kind of final days of that project. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's the photo of the team. So this was the exhibition that was held in PJ in Port Commune, mm-hmm. uh, in parallel with the exhibition in Venice. So we, we did a copy. So the same thing was exhibited in Venice, and the same thing was exhibited in, uh, in, in, in PJ. Uh, yeah, so that's the list of all the kind of participants in that project. So, yeah, so we were not we were not representing Malaysia. Mm, we were mm-hmm. representing ourselves. Right, right. So that's very interesting that you you did mention. It's much more like a, no, you, you you. I think you join in like a. It's almost like an anonymous identity. It's just we are just here. You know, we we don't try yeah, yeah, to yeah. create a hoo ha. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and and. and, and yeah. And that project was very interesting because it was looking at kind of common spaces, things like corridors and whatever, right? And it was actually exhibited in a corridor. Like you could look at it <laughs> while you're passing through or you could just miss it completely. And I thought that was such a perfect kind of uh, embodiment of what the project was looking at. Mm-hmm. Now move on to this uh, David Hockney painting, I believe is this one. And then you, you showed this in the... In the brief, right? It's like a you know that the, the yeah. module descriptor in in your cluster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so so this image is used as the kind of the cluster image for our background frame and platform uh, cluster. I mean, I think if I were you, if I had used the um, Agnes Martin painting mm. or the mm. Solewit sculpture, uh, it would have been I mean immediately obvious and immediately mm. kind of suggestive right whereas this one is a more intriguing image because i mean it's called still life on a glass table and i mean i think you talked about still life paintings mm. earlier uh, it's called still life on a glass table and and, and those objects they are very kind of idiosyncratic objects and, mm. and when you look when you look at this painting you're, you're immediately looking at all those kind of weird objects that is displayed on the table right? Uh, and then after a while, you start to wonder if the painting is it about those objects, mm. or is it about that kind of very uh, kind of enigmatic glass table that is holding it? Right? And, and after a while, like I mean, when I look at this painting, after a while, I start just focusing on the table, and that table <laughs> becomes something very, very, very curious because it's glass, and it's not mm. really of a, it's not like a. You know, even you know, wonderfully designed table. It's just mm. again a very banal table where the legs are probably a bit too thick, you know, out of pro- <laughs> thick, uh, out of proportion, mm. and they're like chrome, so they're a bit quiche. But at the same time, it, 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 the presence of that table is not about itself. Right? It's not. It's not. It's not saying I'm a beautiful table. It's just mm. there 
as a platform to kind of put all these funny things kind of on display. Mm. And uh, and for me, it becomes interesting because maybe that's what architecture is. You know? That maybe architecture is not about itself being beautiful, right? But that it that it enables kind of weird things or enables other beautiful things or, or funny things to be to kind of come across. Um, to be kind of on display, right? so so I think it's a very interesting image. It, it comes to my point because earlier you did mention you wanted to let's say you know if there's a chance you would like to design a warehouse or things. Um, mm. It seems to be that you know uh, by building you are creating a presence, right? But at the same time you are trying to against it because you don't want to create that kind of yeah. attention. Um, yeah. it, it brought to my attention like a short story um, mentioned by David Green from Archigram. So he mentioned when there's rain in London, in, in uh, Oxford, Oxford Street, the rain is much more important than architecture. So it's very mm -hmm. beautiful story because at that yeah. point of time, architecture almost disappear. But at the same time, right. you, can't, you can't not credit the architecture in this case because architecture saw complement the rain, the yeah. rain complements back to the architecture. Yeah. So in that sense, the architecture becomes the kind of setting uh, for things. It becomes uh, the setting for rain. Right? Or it becomes mm. the uh, the setting for you know people gathering or whatever. Right. So I, I I I like the idea that architecture enables interesting things to happen. Mm. Uh, it it doesn't it doesn't I mean maybe it, meaning it doesn't have to be kind of interesting on its own, but it's interesting when it interacts with uh with other things. Right? There's this interesting book that was given like when we graduated from our master's program mm. each student was actually given a book so the supervisor actually selects a book that each student gets right um and that book is based on let's say the supervisor's kind of interpretation of what his interest is or what her uh passion is about right so some people got books about housing mm. uh, some people got books about ungers or some people got books about archicram or whatever mm. i got a very funny little book uh by this french <laughs> art critic called N N nicolas uh bureau mm. I'm, I'm sure i'm pretty sure i'm, I'm pronouncing his name completely wrong but the, the book is called uh it's called mm. relational aesthetics uh, and it was at first it was a very difficult book to understand, right? But as I read it more, the book is actually about uh, installation or artworks, which only become or which only comes to life once there's an engagement with the viewer. Mm. Uh, once there's an engagement with the audience, then suddenly the works come. The work comes to life. Uh, without that, the work is not it's really interesting. Work. It's just something that you can ignore. So mm. I, I find. Reading that book, I, I find it extremely interesting that idea of relational, you know, that things only is brought about due to a set of relationships that mm. unfolds because there's that thing. Of course, mm. this thing, that thing kind of needs to be there, but then it, 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 it you know, it, 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 it promotes or it fosters some sort of relationship. And I think that's uh, ultimately, I, I mean, personally, I feel that architecture that promotes or fosters that kind of thing is most interesting. Mm, mm, mm. And this uh, particular pro uh, photo reminds me of your, I mean, before, way, way, way before. I was trying not to <laughs> look at your website this time before podcast because it's, it's very true because last time you were saying, last time you were saying, try not to use my writing 
after you read it. So once you read it, you just forget <laughs> about it. <laughs> it's very true because uh, what was mentioned, uh, knowledge is like a ladder. After you climb it, you find it, you just burn it up. <laughs> so this yeah, this yeah. this uh, photo it reminds me of your 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 idea on boxes. Mm. Is, is this in Silicon Valley or somewhere? This is actually a photo by uh, a photographer called Louis Baltz, uh, who passed away recently, maybe last year or two years mm. ago. Mm. Uh, he's an American photographer. I think he's an American, or he was is a British based in the States. Uh, anyway, I, I discovered this photo when I was doing my thesis on the on the big box. My thesis was about the big box, this right. architecture where there's no character, it's very mundane, but funny things happen inside of it. Mm. Uh, so this is a photo that I discovered when I was working on that thesis. I, I'm sure it's a very well-known photo. I came across it very late. Um, and that photo, it, I mean, even the title of the photo is completely banal. The title of the photo is East Wall, Western mm. Carpet Mills, one, uh, 1,231 Warner Tustin. So the title of the photo is simply a description that is the East Wall of this uh, carpet warehouse which mm. is located in 1231 Warner Tustin. Uh, I don't know where that is, probably in, in I think somewhere in California. Mm. And, and it's actually, it's funny you mentioned Silicon Valley because it's actually a very, it's just a carpet warehouse, mm. uh, which is very low tech and, and, but, and very mundane. But the, the composition of this photo, the way that it's juxtaposed with the sky mm. and the way that it's just a, juxtaposed with the landscape suddenly gives this kind of very banal object, a, a sense of very strange, uh, monumentality. It almost becomes like an installation. It almost mm. becomes like a like a like a like a, like a Richard Serra thing or like a Christo thing, where it's, it's kind of very monumental, but at the same time it's very very mundane and it's not designed and it's not uh, brought upon by any architect, but it's just uh, reflecting the need of a carpet warehouse. Uh, and and I think it's interesting because now. Uh, Lately, they have, this kind of very big warehouse building have become more and more prevalent, especially in the tech industry, like we mentioned, uh, the Silicon Valley, right? Because now, mm. a lot of the buildings that are kind of taking on this kind of shape or form mm. are data, data centers, yep. server farms. And they stuff are not like for humans. <laughs> They're not for humans. They're architecture for, like architecture not for people, right? mm -hmm. architecture without humans. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I think, again, it's an image that, it could be something very banal, like a carpet warehouse. Right. Or it could be something extremely high-tech, like a data center server farm. But the appearance of the thing is completely uh, uh, completely kind of irrelevant. I mean, mm. it, it remains a box. And there's this, if you can find on YouTube, there's this very big, weird little short film called Content. I don't remember who is the author of the film, but uh, it's probably it's, it's in my thesis, so I can dig out the name somewhere. Mm. It's this film called Content on YouTube, and it's I don't really know what the film is about. But at one point, this guy was just taking a drive in the British countryside, and he was looking at all these big boxes, all these factories, is emerging in the countryside in the landscape, and he was saying, "Well, this kind of uh, architecture without identity could be anything. Like inside, mm. you could find migrant labor, mm. you could find computer parts." You could mm. find you could find bodies without souls, right? So so again, is this if you were to relate it back to the Magritte painting, right? It's something that you 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 at first glance might look completely non-threatening and completely boring, right? But mm. it could actually uh, inside you could find the most either the most wondrous thing or the most kind of perverse uh, thing, right? Right. 
Uh, and if you, again, if you were to relate that to the production of images in Hollywood, let's say when you, especially now, when you, when you don't have to go to kind of uh, fascinating exotic locations, but you could be shooting with a green background and you could always add images later, right? This kind of shoots takes place in this kind of building. Mm. So suddenly mm. this kind of very featureless thing is participating in this kind of creation of this another world. You know? It's participating mm. in this creation of images, you know, that you say, well, that looks like amazing, this mountaintop shot or whatever, but it's actually shot in this box. <laughs> in this studio. So I, I, yeah, so I, I find that kind of relationship between the kind of exotic and the banal, mm. high culture and low culture, you know, architecture and non-architecture, infrastructure, and very fascinating and interesting. Mm. And, and, and it reminds me because I was reading up to um, Kuha's uh, Countryside Report. Yeah, so yeah. there's this chapter called Post-Human Architecture. If you look, have a look at it, in, in Silicon Valley, it's almost just boxes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just boxes. Yeah. And, and they say this is not for human, post-human architecture because it's for more, more dams, for data. And, yeah, and for data, yeah. server farms, and yeah. so, manufacturing. Yeah, but... but, but, but it, it totally shifted into another way when you look at this, uh, even though it's mm -hmm. a box, but Lina Bovadi create another totally meaning. It's, it's, a, it's a totally right. different yeah. setting. This is very yeah. interesting. And I believe you've shown it before. I, I, I totally agree that this is a very powerful architecture because almost yeah. you don't see architecture. You just see two columns and the ceiling is actually a yeah. floating box. I mean, this is my, probably my favorite photograph of a building. Uh, or my favorite kind of architecture photograph. Uh, it's a picture of a of a rock concert uh, mm. that is happening underneath uh, Lina Bobardi's uh, Sao Paulo Museum of Art, mm. which is this mm. very fascinating building, very powerful. And and again, I think like what Gary very well pointed out, like the, the previous image indicates this architecture for post-human, right? But this image is full of humanity. Right. You know, I, I, what's more human than a rock concert? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and somehow, I mean, it also is an image that brings together my two great kind of love, like right. you know, rock music and architecture. And, and where the building, the building is an art museum, so high culture. Mm. Right? So mm. in, the, in the box above you, you find modern art. Yeah. But below, you find this kind of expression of daily life. And they exist yeah. in the same realm as the high culture. And things that happen underneath the museum doesn't even have to relate to the program of the museum. Right. But it's enabled by the physical, spatial character of that building, right? So, so and, and, and sometimes there's like a bazaar. Sometimes mm. there's like circus. Sometimes they're just homeless people sleeping there. Mm. Sometimes there's a rock concert. Sometimes there's like political protests or whatever. So the architecture remains. Uh, life continuously change, but somehow it's enabled by the presence of the building as a shelter on top and the open plaza underneath as a platform. Hmm. So it's my favorite kind of architecture image because it shows like architecture in the most basic form, hmm. Hmm. mundane shape could bring so much to life, right? And, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just a picture so full of humanity and you could, you could, you know, easily miss the architecture. But it's really, yeah, yeah sorry. It, it's really nice because you didn't mention I, I, I was reading this book. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was very heavily featured. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So yeah. maybe I can read a little bit. And it's, uh, mm. you're saying she did not, she, she did not say 
intent and elects eccentricity to astonish people. She just makes the void which allows the surrounding extraordinaries to become manifest. Yeah. That's pretty interesting because uh, this book sort of put her highly. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I think it, it, the book puts her very highly and... Uh... That's, that's really nice because now, now we are doing like a, like a, like a book tour. <laughs> And, um, uh, and this is a very interesting book. This is a, a, an, a, a publication, uh, but it's a compilation of Lina Bobardi's uh, yeah. work. It's called Stones Against Diamonds. And if you were to read her explanation of that project, it's even more beautiful where she said, uh, she said, uh, um, what did she say? She said, But but maybe maybe while you're searching, but but perhaps the, mm. the only thing I wish to address is when she mentioned poor architecture. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's a very yeah, interesting yeah. one. It says that you know architecture is is not about like you know marble or whatnot. Uh, it's not it's not it's not um high profile like Mies. So in this case we we, we got a Mies Mies image, yeah. but you did so, I'm just gonna quickly read out Lina Bobardi's own uh kind of uh uh, you know, uh, explanation of that project where she said, uh, I tried to recreate an atmosphere of the Trianon. The Trianon is this kind of formerly open space in Sao Paulo. I would like to see people going there to attend open air exhibitions, take part in debates, listen to music, watch films. I would mm. like to see children play there in the morning and afternoon sun. Mm. And to be fair about it, there should even be space for outdoor gigs and everyday bad taste. Mm. So I, I find that the fact that she said it should accommodate everyday bad taste. Right, right. It's extremely, it's an extremely beautiful thing for an architect to say, right? Mm, mm. Uh, rather than saying hands off my work and don't touch it. Right, right, that, right. I mean, come, you know, do your, you know, yeah, funny things there. Yeah, yeah she did another project. The one, uh, it's like a factory. The one I, I can't remember. Remember yeah, the yeah. project, and then the facade is got got this organic facade. Lina Bobardi is, is one of my favorite architects, also because she she designed relatively few works. And mm. she designed and built relatively few works. Mm. Um, probably 12 or 11 buildings in, in her lifetime. Um, some were kind of uh, adaptive reuse project, like the one you mentioned. But with each of her project, there's a very kind of bold ambition. And this bold ambition doesn't necessarily have to be carried out through bold architecture. And, and I think you mentioned about poor architecture. And there's another monograph where she said that uh, an architect should be able to kind of achieve architecture through even uh, the, the, the poorest of means. Right? And she was talking, because mm. she was working in, 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 in Bahia, which is kind of one of the poorest states in Brazil back then. And she was really struggling, uh, striving to make architecture out of the mundane, no budget. And, and, mm. and I think, and that's why I find her work extremely fascinating because she's not an architect. I have to rely on kind of money or you know to, to, to get things built and to get things built meaningfully. Uh, and she did relatively few work, but each of them was somehow very profound and powerful. And she's kind of underrated still. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 yeah. 
I'm totally I totally agree. She is kind of underrated architect. I mean, yeah. I I I I was much more impressed by her the the stand she designed for M S F P. It's just well, a yeah, even, block. Even it's just that, a glass. <laughs> the simplicity of that, right? But it's extremely powerful. Hmm. Sorry, sorry, Nazmi. I think we might have to catch up because I, I, I think we have been dwelling too well in this conversation. So maybe yeah, we can so catch up. So, so this one is a Mies, is it? It's a Mies conventional hall. Yeah, it's a, it's a collage by, by, by Mies uh, for a, an unbuilt project mm -hmm. uh, for the Chicago conventional. It's a, again, it's a, I mean, Mies, all that Mies ever does is a box. Mm -hmm. But again, it's a very powerful image that shows the possibility of architecture to contain kind of events and and life and, and people right? of course miss being miss right? there's like a marble wall right right <laughs> very refined very high taste kind of thing but i think the image is trying to do uh, trying to show it's trying to show exactly what was achieved in in lina bobardi's project hmm. the idea of kind of long span uh, right. open structure being able to accommodate uh, everyday life but then, but then the materials with the plates is like a president plates on the wall is somehow expressed the kind of uh, Detachment yeah. from Lina already. Yeah, I mean, again, there's a bit more exclusivity, I guess. Mm. I think it, it, what they're trying to show is the uh, democratic uh, national conventions, right? All the images crop from them. Yeah, and then and then we come across this Corbusier uh, Domino, uh, and also yeah. I believe another one is is it in India? Uh, well, no, that one is actually a photograph of the buildings in Brasilia under construction. Right, right, uh, right, right. Uh, so, uh, and I like these two images because the image on the left-hand side is Corbusier, the, the Masson Domino, of course, showing the possibility of reinforced concrete construction to now create this frame and platform and within which you can do anything. Mm. You can have glass wall, you can have curving, because suddenly the wall and the partitions are removed from this role of you know, load-bearing. Uh, and the image on the right, it's interesting because it's a translation of that kind of Corbusier drawing mm. from 1914 into the reality kind of in, in, in Brasilia in the 60s, right? And, and the drawing, again, the drawing on the left doesn't look very powerful, but if you imagine that it's a drawing that is proposing an idea of a construction, and then you imagine that today, if you go to a construction site all over the world, that's what you see. So it, it becomes a very powerful drawing, but in a way it anticipates this kind of mode of production of architecture throughout the world, even until today. Mm -hmm. um, and the image on the right is an image by, I uh, can't remember the photographer's name, but it's, it's during the construction of Brasilia. I was writing a paper a long time ago about uh, Brasilia and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And this photo is very nice because it's, it shows this kind of frame kind of rising, right? And, and at that point, it seems to be kind of more full of possibility to imagine a sort of, mm different possibilities coming together during this construction. Of course, when it's finished, it becomes this very kind of typical monolithic modernist mm. blocks, but the picture of it under construction, for me, is, is more powerful because it gives the purity of the domino drawing mm. in actual kind of physical form. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Mies did this uh, X-ray architecture. It's like you just see, see the skeleton mm. of it and then within this skeleton, mm. you can put you know that's yeah. where that's where the human life is. You know you can put yeah. the red color, blue color, and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think this. I think we earlier 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 discussions sort of uh you know compiles a lot of uh, answers to the following questions. But I just wish to maybe conclude a little bit with the um, what are the challenges and also the um 
obstacles that you wish to address in a way that to make architectural education much more engaging and also much more fun and also not you know like like you said it's not supposed to be just limited to you know stay up all night and then you just need depending on the coffee and things but i, I just wish to address uh, two things one is studio culture and also one is much more on teaching because you yourself been teaching for quite some time and i thought to to um, mention this short uh, paragraph from uh, paulo paulo from pedagogy of the oppressed so um the, the, the story was saying the relationship between a teacher and a student and then the student is kind of like a um, it's wrong to say brainwash but I kind of true because because the students just learn from the tutor right is they they, they kind of get inspired from that and then they will continue to do what they can in a, uh, apply into assignment so perhaps the first question I would like to ask is uh, do you agree there is a certain uh, competitiveness to improve our quality? And the second, the second, the second question is, for those who wish to be a a, a a lecturer, you did mention you 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 wanted to teach, but go through the corporate lifestyle, you you understand what you don't want. Perhaps we we can we can talk about the first one, the studio culture, the competitiveness, and then uh, I think we can sort of close up the session. Yeah. yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, st studio culture is good. I think studio culture is good because it, it, it not so much competitiveness. You know? I think, let's say, when, when I was a student and when we were in the studio, it's not a competition where, where you want to be kind of better than your colleagues. It's more of a thing where you want to do something different. Like if you see your friend doing this, then you would like to try something else. Mm. That is a healthy, a healthy, should be a healthy thing. Uh, so it's not really a competition, but it's more of this kind of uh, kind of pushing each other along kind of thing. And I think that's the value of the studio culture. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really unsure and I'm more and more against the idea of staying up all night uh, to make architecture. I don't think that's necessary, actually. Yep. Yeah. Um, although, like, I'm not against the idea of staying up all night itself. Like, if you're staying up all night, having fun with your friends, then why not, right? <laughs> why not? I mean, why not, right? I'm just saying that it's not necessary to be staying up all night to make interesting or good architecture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I stay up, like when I was doing I stayed up all the time. Most of that time is spent, you know, playing guitar and, 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 and you know, like uh, gossiping or, you know, having a smoke or whatever. So it's not mm -hmm. really about the work, right? Mm -hmm. I guess in a way it contributes to the work somehow. Mm -hmm. I, I hope. Right? So I think studio culture is, is good in the sense that it, it pushes you along because you see what your friends are doing mm. you may get inspired you may want to do something completely different to what they're doing I, I don't think it's a competition i think the the competition to kind of be recognized like the competition to be the best student or the competition to stand out mm. i don't find that particularly interesting like, like I, I don't think it's about being better than your friend mm. maybe it's about being different doing something else uh, but i think engaging and, and having a discussion and talking and understanding what other people's interests are is more important than than than, than being comp com com comparing as well mm. yeah like, so like I, i'm not a, i'm not a particularly competitive person like, mm. like when we when we do competitions right uh, i'm not sure about Zazi. maybe he's ultra competitive <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a competitive person like when mm. we do competition it's not to say that we're better it's just like oh we want to something and share some mm, ideas. Right? Mm. Uh, the question about being obstructed, uh, I do wish that there are more people who are teaching has 
very strong convictions and ideas in architecture. I think that's very crucial. Like like mm. now I have what. I have what who I can talk to. I have uh, you know Ashi, Camilia, and, and one Azhar. But I think I really hope that there are more people who, who is teaching, who brings with them a certain kind of conviction about what architecture should be or mm. how architecture should be done. Right, mm. and that could be completely the opposite to how I see it. That could be completely different to. But it's fine. But I, I think because we talked about uh, why students are not doing better work. I think, like, I, I do not wish to lay the blame on institutions or, or things like that. I, I lay the blame on us as teachers. Mm. And I think te- teachers also need to come equipped with having a position. Like, like, like maybe my very vague positions, I believe architecture should be a background frame and platform and should mm. not. Maybe what's position is something else. But I think mm. having a position is very crucial for people who want to teach. You know, let, let's say... If I say before that it's good to have some experience, that experience shaped a position. Right? Mm. Because the experience for, of me working in a corporate office, decorating buildings, making wow factor facades, wow factor roofs, make me realize that those things are really unnecessary and mm. I think it should be something else. Mm. So it's, it's not experience. Like it's, it's not because now I know how to do you know, lift course or whatever. That's completely beside the point. Mm. It's the point that you have you have a position that you want to kind of uh, stake. Uh, there's a position that you believe architecture should be done in a certain way, and you mm. would like to explore that possibility with students. And I think teaching, especially if you're teaching in the masters, uh, or even when you're teaching in the undergrad, should comes with should really come with a certain position. And even when I was a student, I, I had a lot of teachers and lecturers, but those who are who completely stood out, right, were teachers and lecturers who had a very strong conviction in certain things or certain way that they do things. I mm. may or may not agree with them. They may like robots. I may not mm. like robots, but they're mm. inspiring to me in the sense that they have a very strong conviction of how architecture should be done. So, so I think those kind of teachers uh, and having a lot more of those kind of teachers in local schools would be would really help, I feel, to push the thing along. Like, I, I, like, like uh, the university is not a problem, you know, uh, accreditation is really not a problem. The problem is having more people with strong opinions, with strong positions, with strong approaches. Mm. I think that's what, in a way, we are lacking in, 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 in most of the schools here. So hopefully that will improve. Yeah, thanks Thanks a lot, Nazmi. I think you close up a, a very good point because yesterday also from the talk, we, uh, we have been talking about, it's, I mean, there are two points to make because one is that we wish to celebrate diversity because we, we try to embrace like, you have different idea. I don't agree. That's fine because at least you said it out, right? Because I know yeah, what at, you least, at least you have an idea. Yes, yes. It's better to have an idea. Yeah. So so the first thing is that to be open to say things and also another side is to be open to listen to things because yeah. I don't know, yeah, we, we, we tend to get offended so quick. It's like you I, yeah. you, you don't agree with me then I, I cancel you kind of thing. That's very yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not really a healthy thing I would say. So like I I'm always interested uh, and for example like I, I went to study in uh, in uh, in the Belahi Institute mm. right? and and the Belahi Institute promotes this kind of diversity but also promotes this sense of criticality and mm. and a very interesting anecdote about the school uh, was that it was uh, the first half of the school the first half of the school's life was dominated by the ideas and presence of Hermann Herzberger. Mm. In a way, he founded the school. Right? And then in one of these kind of crit sessions, he invited uh, Ram Kohlhaas. 
And Aram Kulhas came from a different uh, approach and an idea and position. And he started immediately attacking, of course, attacking critically, right? Philosophically, mm. engaging in his debate with Hertzberger and criticizing his approach, criticizing his methods and everything. And you know what Hertzberger did? He immediately invited Rem Kolhas to teach at the Valahri. And I thought that was such a, it's such a beautiful thing, a very generous thing on Hertzberger's part to like, oh, mm. you've been criticizing me. Come and teach, right? right, okay, right, rather, right. Than, rather than saying, oh, you've been criticizing me. You don't agree with me. I'm going to cancel you out. So he invited uh, uh, Kolhas and then Kolhas started to dominate the school. And Hertzberger like, graciously said, well, this is the next phase of it. Here you mm. go. Right? And, and I find that attitude is crucial. Like, like if you have someone who has a position which is in opposition to you, like engage, you know, get to understand, understand his position and, and understand their approach. Doesn't mean you have to agree, right? You, but in trying to understand in working together, then you build something. And that's not only true for architecture school. You, you mean, we've been talking about architecture school, uh, mm-hmm. architecture all the while. And mm-hmm. that's true for everything. That's true for Malaysia. <laughs> you understand once you understand and engage with people who are you know different than you, who has a different, who holds a different position, then you can start working towards something more meaningful and more valuable. And of course, we talk about architecture, but a lot of the things that we've discussed today, I feel it's, it's relates back to as a human. Yeah, as a human being and, and to life in general. But but, but yeah. Herman is such a gentleman. In this case, it's he just revert yeah. revert the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like okay, I mean, if you think your thing, then come and teach with us. You know, if you think you can, <laughs> then if you think you can then lead the school, like go ahead. You know, so I, I I think that kind of an attitude is so profound, right? Yeah, where, yeah, you, yeah. Where you invite, you open up your you know circle of discussion to people who criticizes you, like like and, and her and her call has been called has. This is guy who, who takes all the opportunity to kind of continuously <laughs> criticize her, you know. But 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 you know. But when when Kohlhaas was awarded the um, Prisca, the kind of the, not not the Prisca, the, the Dutch Architecture Award, um, right, right, right. And they asked him who should introduce him. He said, "Oh, get Herman Hersberger to introduce me." Right? So there's so it, 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 there's a relationship, right? That they may not kind of agree or or, or appreciate each other's work or whatever, but there's there's, there's a relationship that kind of emerge out of being critical to each other. And I think mm. that should be the case. That, that, that the more you are, you should be more critical of your friends, more critical of your colleagues. And and people, like you said, I mean we should not be too kind of sensitive, but you should start to kind of kind of um, be the criticism helps you grow, right? And yeah. that's true. That's not just in, in, in architecture, that's life. Yeah. We I mean both both are growing together. And yeah, that's particularly, yeah. I, it reminds me of Peter Eisenman. Peter Eisenman just keep on attacking. That's, that's what I feel. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, whatever people say, he just don't agree, don't agree. Just, just cancel yeah. everything. But yeah. I, think, I think, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, Nasmi. It's a very um, uh, enlightened and a very inspiring mm. uh, sharing. I mean, I mean it, it, uh, there's this very interesting video on YouTube. I think you can find it of uh, Ram Kolhas and Peter Eisenman, Eisenman. in a... Uh, in kind of a discussion, right? Yeah. And of course, they've been kind of friends. I, 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 and they've been kind of friends and kind of rival and whatever for like a long time, right? And then you know, Azimai immediately said, oh, the problem with you, Ram, is that you don't know how to deal with form, right? And, and, and these are friends, right? And they're kind of, kind of openly kind of criticizing each other in front of like a thousand people. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's such a, it's a good, I'm sure that criticism is done in kind of good spirit. It's not to put people down. 
Yep, yep. It's about it's about it's the thing that I don't agree with you, but I do. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, but yeah, I have my own approach in every You don't know form, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I like the fact that you know debate is just debate. After that, they will become friends. Yeah, after that, they probably went went for drinks. Went for <laughs> Because because uh, I I I did a debate with Yvonne. Um, you know we we were we were trying to come up with a setting debating on you know Penang uh, 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 Island on you know with the, the the Big one. So we had this debate. But but after the whole debate, we just friends because we just put it aside. Debate is debate. We we are we are yeah. just being a uh, academians or students. Let that just be in that setting. After that, we are friends. We will talk about life. We'll talk about you know things else. So that's very nice. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Nasmi. It's really fortunate to have you to share. And uh, before I forget, so because you did mention about human beings, we are not just limiting ourselves being a professional architects or you know our job. So mm-hmm. next week we will have uh, Su, Su, Su from ZLG Design. So after the first week, we have what? We have you know talking about philosophy, and then you yourself also talk about philosophy and also reality of practicing in uh, education or even uh, competitions. So 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 next week we will have Susan uh, from ZLG to to talk about um, rather personal view and also uh, from a few projects. Um, so looking forward for that. So now we will open questions for the audience if they wanted to ask anything. Feel free to turn off your mic and then you know you can ask uh, ask you know ask me if you have anything or you you just simply wanted to say anything to reflect your thoughts. Thank you so much for staying out with us for almost two hours and plus. I wish to talk more with uh, Nasmi. Maybe maybe there maybe there was too long. They <laughs> are <laughs> quite 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 tired. But 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 I'm so it sorry for the audience. Sorry. That's a very beautiful. That's a very beautiful drawing by Lina Bobardi ah, showing right, right. kind of funny things happening underneath the building. Mm. Yeah, I anyway. saw that book. It's, it's by AA Publication. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's very nice book. Um, yeah. Can I say something, Susan? Hi, Sue. Hi. 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 Yeah, nicely. I, I really, I, I very much enjoyed your, your talk, uh, especially all your all your reference images and uh, very deep thoughts and very uh, conceptual also, not talking about shape and form, you know, not, not talking about the superficial things and go quite, quite deep in, in, in what, it, what, what stays behind each of these uh, references. Mm. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I was a bit, I was a bit smiling uh, I, uh, about, you are much younger I, than me, I believe. I, <laughs> a different generation today many of your early references are very similar to mine i mean i i loved uh, surrealism i loved rene Magritte, and uh, he also has his uh, image of uh Zenepa in pipe this is not a, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 in pipe yeah yeah, yeah which yeah. actually means a, a very conceptual thing i mean it's Correct. a very simple yeah. image but it says yeah. this not this is just an image of a pipe. Yeah, you know? it's a representation of a pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, also Beatles, of course. I mean, I'm grown up with the Beatles, and I remember. I don't know. Have you seen uh, the the movies? Because uh, that was, that was playing in Germany mm-hmm. a lot, and I loved the movies. You know, I mean, yeah, the collage yeah. and the painting, and sometimes it is yeah, real and yeah. goes back to a, a cartoon, and uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I just I just want to ask you something else. Um, all your all your reference you are showing is uh, all uh, 
from the West, isn't it? I mean, you don't really have uh, shown anything uh, which, uh, which might inspire you from Malaysia. I mean, I was, wanted to ask you, what is, what is, uh, is there anything in, in Malaysia which, which uh, inspires you or which you think it's something um, which relates to your thinking and in influences you? Uh, that's a very, very uh, interesting, very difficult question. Uh, as, as I was putting together these images, I came to the same kind of realization, this kind of kind of heavily, yeah. uh, heavily kind of dependency on these images, which are completely Western in nature. And, and uh, at first I was kind of uh, a bit kind of, not, not to say worried, but let's say a bit kind of wary of why are these images so Western centric, right? But then I decided in the end to just go with them because I mean, I'm just being honest that these are things that inspire me. Mm. Uh, and part of, I think a big part of that goes to this exposure, like I said, in this in this set of encyclopedia that I was given very young. And it was kind of an, it was two set of encyclopedia. One is a British uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. The other one is this American ABC learning. And so from, from a very young age, this kind of images that was mm. I was exposed to was always Western in nature. Right? And, and, and I mean, of course you can see that with, to what extent that is a pro byproduct of, of kind of colonialism and whatever, but I mean, there's just a, a fact that these images are have been imprinted on on my um, my uh, psyche for a long time. Uh, so while while I was com com um, compiling these images, I was also thinking: what well, is there a specific kind of Malaysian image that inspires me? But I couldn't really. Pick point, uh, pinpoint an image, but there's one kind of Malaysian as Malaysian thing that I feel is very uh, kind of influential, or not influential, but I find very fascinating. Is this kind of that Malaysia, Malaysians have this very uh, ad hoc nature, like, like things can like you can you extend your house kind of very randomly, mm -hmm. you do things very randomly, like, like streets suddenly become. Pasamalam, like uh, yeah. like like pedestrian walkway suddenly blocked and it becomes seating, and that's a Malaysian thing that of course happens because one there's a lack of proper infrastructure, two there's a lack of proper kind of implementation of rules, so you don't find these things happening in Singapore, but they're prevalent in Malaysia. This kind of oh that's fine, that's okay, I'm gonna mm -hmm. do this kind of thing, so that's a Malaysian thing that I find extremely fascinating. But I, of course, there's not one image that I could. Used, but but it's a Malaysian thing, no? It's this kind of bole lah kind of thing. Oh, yeah. exactly. So so, was, so that's a very. I was sorry? thinking. The, I was thinking the same thing. What you just said, especially when you showed the image of the people underneath the roof. Correct. Yeah. 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 And that is exactly also what I really love. That suddenly a tree become becomes exactly. a rest out with uh, with uh, chairs and uh, you know though this utilitarian. I mean, you can Correct. have that. Yeah. 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 In Asia. And there are a lot of, I mean, because me coming from the West and now being a long mm -hmm. time in, uh, here in Malaysia, there are a lot of things actually which I find very inspiring. And maybe yeah. it is something, uh, maybe it's something, a human thing that we always look, the grass is greener on the other side, yeah. you know. Exactly. And we don't, exactly. And exactly. don't appreciate maybe what we, what we have, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, shop houses and uh, kampong. Yeah. Living, you know, I mean, there are many, many very, I think, interesting, interesting, yeah. interesting 
things in 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 Asia. Yeah. Like, like like I think again relating to that question, I think a few years ago there was uh or maybe last year they were trying to kind of um put together some things for the Venice Biennale that represents Malaysia and and someone was asking around like what are the most important Malaysian buildings that maybe you should do a model of this building and, and ship it to Venice. And I thought that what they should do is actually to just set up a, a pasar malam, you know, like set up a street <laughs> with stalls like in uh, Venice, right? And that is kind of a Malaysian thing. And then it's kind yeah. of, it's an experience rather than a building, right? And it's it's something that you cannot really explain in drawings or models. It's something that the, the street turning into the pasar malam mm. is yeah. kind of a thing uh, that is kind of uniquely here. Right? And, and yeah, you can relate that to the image of the people underneath Dina yeah. Bobardi's architecture. But like, for example, the National Mosque, I must say, is one of the most, yeah. for me, most Definitely, beautiful yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably my let's say if you were to ask me, that's probably the to me the most beautiful building. Mm -hmm. Okay, anyone else? Thanks, thanks also. I think, very I think interesting question. Yeah, last last a uh, few days ago, we were talking about uh, to preparing the slides for next week, and then she also mentioned this kind of uh, east and west culture. So I think you know there are tons of stories we can share about that. I think you know just just a quick uh, Q and A here is a, a sort of a summarize quite 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 a few points. Yeah. So anyone would like to like like like, like, like my brother my brother is doing a, a PhD looking at uh, educational systems right and and I think uh, and, and doing that PhD he's really kind of confronting this kind of very colonial nature of our education here in Malaysia. And, and, and he was saying, sometimes we have a conversation, and said it's completely fine to say that your uh, your kind of upbringing and the kind of education and the kind of references are Western because that's kind of a byproduct of this whole process of, of kind of mm. colonialism, right? And I think part of the process of kind of growing up and, and, and growing as a person is to also look at this thing and to start deconstructing it and asking the next question. The next question would be, why are these images important why is it? Why is it re references kind of Western source, right? mm. and coming to terms with with that why, and then trying to start to find uh, kind of because I mean if if I were to say okay now I'm gonna I'm gonna find five kind of Western influence, five local influence, that's also a very reactionary, right? Mm. So I, I didn't want to go down that path of now I need to find five Malaysian references. Mm. So I just thought yeah. that I'm just gonna be kind of honest and just show these things. I mean I like the Beatles, you know. But the, but for example, like local music, like Kronchong, like Kronchong is a form of kind of folk music, which is uh, common in um, this, the Malay archipelago. And I fell in love or discovered this music in Holland. And it's a local <laughs> music here. So I think that, that says something about, again, colonialism and how cultural you know, things travel across. It's, it's, I mean, you have a lot of documentation and you have a lot Correct. of exactly. Exactly. England, you yeah. know, I mean, Correct. England yeah. didn't find out yeah. so many about Malaysia. Exactly. Yeah, so it's, 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 I mean, you cannot deny that these things are there, you know. And, and, mm -hmm. Of course, you can start questioning the power structures that enable them to con continuously be influential. Uh, but at the same but time, I mean, lot, but there was a lot of collaboration, you know, in the time of the fifties and the sixties, uh, this uh, between uh, English architects and local architects, and they're very, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. amazing examples, you know, yeah, which yeah, said yeah. like the Subang Airport sadly was yeah. demolished. Yeah, you know, yeah. A lot of 
lot of interesting 50s, 60s, and you, I mean, you still have these bungalows uh, in, in, in PJ, which are yeah, extremely the, beautiful. Mm. Someone, someone should do a book on the PJ bungalows. Like I was yeah. telling someone, someone should do a book, and they can say, yeah, do it. I'm simply whining, like, why am I not yeah. doing a book on the PJ yeah. bungalows? Or we should have um, the, uh, uh, recorded all the cinemas, the old cinemas, mm. yeah, exactly. or like all the disappearing. Huh? The, the the things here, like in Malaysia, right? You 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 you, ha you are in a situation where you're discovering your cultural artifacts, kind of after mm -hmm. the fact, and via kind of Western. Like my brother is doing his PhD, and all his sources, kind of on uh, you know Malaysia and the history of this, is coming through the British Library. <laughs> but mm -hmm. what, what do you do? Right? Because those resources are not available here. You know? mm -hmm. But you know what so, I wish for? I wish that people like you or people more uh, very uh, open-minded people are in are the authority government working there you know i wish that i wish that that will would be improving and not everyone is going out and become uh, uh, a, yes, a, a that, private i mean i think good people yeah. are missing there i think yeah i think that is something we maybe you could you could teach the students as an option yeah. and yeah. because the the image is so it's so bad isn't it and I mean nobody yeah. wants to to work for for the government yeah. but there there are the decision makers and you can make a lot of change and you can actually yeah, exactly. really exactly. really influence uh, in in a good way you know it is yeah. it is needed yeah i mean if, yeah. if you read the history of the of the metabolist movement in, in japan right where they came to prominence and they came to represent the new japanese avant-garde it's only because one of the person, I don't remember the name, because again, the name is now lost history, because he, uh, he was an architecture student, he was a peer of, you know, uh, Kurokawa, but he decided, okay, mm -hmm. in order to kind of help my friends along, I'm going to go into government, and I'm going to be the person who commissions these metabolist architects, right? Yeah. Of course, what, what happened is that all his friends become well-known, uh, you know, Takie, mm -hmm. Kurokawa, mm -hmm. this person, his name is kind of lost uh, to history, but without mm. him being in the in the public sector commissioning his friends, mm. that whole movement would not have happened, right? So, so I think that's, that's very true because you need someone kind of in a position yeah. where you can yeah. make decisions. Sorry, yeah. I'm, maybe I can chip in a little bit because I think I think private and public sector in in Malaysia context, I I do believe grassroots approach in a, in another way because. Because if, if let's say the, the 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 government or the the the, the you know the public institute they never realize our importance until you approach to them you see until you you have a thought then you you say why don't you work with us and then I already have a you know plan because they just busy with their own thing I'm not sure what they are busy with but they just don't realize what we are doing is <laughs> there is a but, but I, I I know I know of some local kind of designer offices uh, who are kind of quietly working on some proposals in kind of out of the way towns and trying to propose these things to the authorities. And I think that's mm. a very good initiative. Mm. Like, like instead of working in KL, go to Batu Pahat, you know, go to Kuantan and say, okay, uh, I'm an architect. Here's my proposal to make a better waterfront. Here's my proposal to make a better pedestrian. Like they, they initiate it. Maybe it doesn't work. You know, maybe mm. it will not, nothing will happen. But I think slowly by doing something like that, you know, by kind of, by breaking, you know, this kind of wall between. Oh, I'm a designer. I'm not going to talk to the mm. senior citizens. But, but unless you, you know, come to me, 
Correct. Yeah. But so instead of saying I'm a designer, you come to me. Go say, oh, here we've made a proposal. Mm. Maybe this is good for about to part. If they reject it, then yeah. at least you but also, know. They yeah. But also breaking the wall between uh, uh, politics and uh, yeah, yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, in my opinion, politics is, is everything. Politics is yeah. when you you can have politics in your family when you are more than two, yeah. two people, right. three people, yeah. four people. You have yeah. to make decisions. That is yeah. already politics. You know. Mm. I mean, it's uh, not like oh, they are up there and I, I cannot change anything and let them yeah. do and be my own. You know, it's it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, did anyone did, did anyone see the kind of proposal for the uh, the the Lengong uh, uh, archaeological oh, museum? Uh, yeah, it's such a horrible proposal, right? and I'm sure that the but, only reason that that kind of architecture comes across is because it's somehow politically. Yeah, I mean, we we submitted. Uh, we were doing. A, we were part of the. Of the competition, we were yeah, and we really enjoyed doing it, yeah. Sad, sadly, it's very oh, look sad, at yeah. look at the national look at the national gallery, um, <laughs> and next yeah. door next door the what Philharmonic no not the the national what is this the, the the where they make big concerts and all that. I mean, this is not an open competition. It's all under the table, you know. Yeah, it's always yeah, the yeah. same contractor, and yeah. I mean that's an open competition. This yeah. kind of things. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I was telling them, and even in that written piece that I wrote for the class catalog, is that uh, when, when, when the whole change, the so called change in, in Malaysia happened, was that well, there needs to be kind of public competitions. And that's the only way mm. that you get to commission. Yeah. Like, uh, like in countries like Belgium and Holland, right? They commission yeah. pub, uh, public projects through competitions. And these are not yeah. even big things. You know? Community libraries, community halls, kindergarten, bus stops are all commissioned through competitions. And these competitions are open to kind of young practitioners. Mm. That's how it's you build up. Europe. It's all over yeah, Europe. It's all over, yeah, because you have, you have to award through this kind of open the, the EU mm. uh, system, right? So it, it ensures transparency. So good mm. governance leads to good design. You know? yeah. It's not that people here cannot design. It's just there's no transparent, proper mechanism to ensure that mm. good design is kind of applied. Mm. Yes, but there's also a lot of fear in the education system. Yeah, yeah. People come out with fear, you know. You're not supposed to, to question, you're not supposed to ask yeah. to, to be critical, you're not you're supposed to respect your teacher, you're not supposed to yeah. disturb with questions, you know, and all this. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I, a few weeks ago, I, I was talking to the Malaysian, a few months ago, I was talking to the Malaysian Insight, criticizing this kind of project to do this kind of Quranic village or whatever, and then mm -hmm. and then someone sent me an email and said, "Oh, that's very brave what you're saying." And I was like, "I was like, well, that's not even brave. That's I'm simply pointing out the facts, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if point if simply pointing out obvious facts, then yeah. you get to call brave, right? It shows the amount yeah. of kind of fear and kind of you know uh, control. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even. I'm just pointing out facts, and that is like, oh, you're very brave. I'm not even being." I think I think I think it's the I think it's I think a lot of uh, Malaysians they are quite uh, open with submitting, but rather than receiving, the definition of brave is so so different because just simply uh, 
like Professor Tajudin, you know, submitting a, 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 a paper or article to the newspaper, then people would think, hey, why are you so bold? Why are you so provocative? But in fact, it's not really, you know, it's just yeah, quite, it's a, quite a common thing to, to do that. I mean, by right, there should be like, you know, 40 more Tajudis <laughs> <laughs> rather, than, rather than just him. Mm. But I mean, the people yeah, that government is supposed to service the people. They're supposed yeah, to serve yeah. people, not the other mm. way around. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so William, William, William tied out a little bit things. So he was saying, uh, in a way, all the demolished but interesting projects have now become pro paper projects, which is very sad yeah. and very true. Because like uh, Nasmi, you were saying, uh, uh, Razak mentioned, it's like yeah. it's a it's a very beautiful project. I would say it perhaps it's like very genuine, uh, the kind of uh, um, identity in a way that is presented in in public housing Malaysia. Um, but it's, it, 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 it's but when said it becomes a it, it, it's now only appear in our imagination and Sue mentioned uh, Subang Airport by Kinton Lu that was a great great project I I I I I'm not there to say that's a precursor for Stansted Airport what is here but but it's somehow there's a the, the relationship you know the umbrella culture you know the, the umbrella structure you know but somehow uh, after quite quite some years right the 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 Subang Airport is like 1950s. So Stansted Airport perhaps like uh, 80s, 70s, or yeah, perhaps 80s, right? 70s, 80s. I, I went to a flea market and I found actually a book uh, on the Subang Airport. It's, a, it's actually a government report with all the drawings, with all the conceptual explanation in English and, 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 and Bahasa. A very small, with all the drawings, all the perspectives, all the kind of engineering explanation, architectural explanation, blah, blah, blah. It's a very, very beautiful thing. And you look at this thing, it, it, and suddenly, like, like William pointed out very correctly, because this building doesn't exist anymore, and you're just looking at this fantastic drawing, suddenly it, it becomes this kind of idea. You know? It becomes this kind of uh, unbuilt. Not, not that it's unbuilt, it's because it's no longer there. Right? Mm. So, so now that, that book, when I look at it, it's like, oh, I, I wish this is built. This is amazing on paper, right? But actually, it was there at some it was point. Built, and, now yeah. it's, and now it's gone. So that's a very... Interesting mm. life of a building. Mm. Where you went you from know, a drawing. drawing. Yeah, you you know the books, the Medica interviews. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, there is also a lot of interesting yeah. information. There are also images, and it tells you all of about the time of the fifties and sixties yeah. interviews and and sketches. It's also the Subang Airport inside. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I I was lucky to kind of experience that that airport. Uh, although, I mean, I. I don't remember much of it because it was so long ago. But that's very. I remember nice. the ramp. I remember the ramp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I look at the plan, when when they draw the tiles, right? It follows with the grid, you know, with the, the very, columns, with the, very with careful, the yeah. yeah, with the counter, with the tilt, with the you know the check-in reception and things. That's very interesting. Like, even when you look at the drawing, there was obviously a lot of care hmm. kind of in, in, in invested in that drawing and equally a lot of care invested in building it, but they was completely careless in demolishing it. Mm. So it's a very sad kind of uh, life of a building. Yeah. And, and, and sorry, maybe maybe I can cut, cut, cut in with uh, another thought is that because uh, William was saying, uh, you know, being paper is elevated in the state, how we can be more imaginative. And I think, I think being paper itself, you know, um, it also manifests architecture in a certain way, you know. Thanks, thanks for the for the for the message. Um, so, 
but but writing a paper is rather is a is a self-initiated thing, right? It's not like you're waiting for someone to commission you to do the thing. And I think we should do that because I think by nature we are just I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure from the other, you know, professional practitioner for, for being quite quite some years. I think architecture practice has been always like I'm waiting for someone to come and you know approach to me and do the project. But in fact, in in in, in some other practice in Malaysia as well, they 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 initiate the project. They don't waiting. They 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 start the movement. They they start the project. They start the proposal. Um, so I'm not sure if, uh, anyone would like to maybe uh, say a few words or Zazi, or or what or William or Ayman. Yeah, Gary, if I may, uh, just yes, add please. a remark. First of all, I think uh, your X Y Z podcast. Uh, and that uh, and, and Nasmi uh, should bring his ABC encyclopedia. <laughs> so we need to take ABC and XYZ into classrooms because the reason is because uh, dialogues are important. You know, XYZ podcast uh, stimulates conversation, and I think that is something that students uh, lack. And the ABC encyclopedia is important because our students uh, cannot name three artists. Uh, you're talking about master students who cannot relate to art, uh, who cannot draw from experience, uh, whether looking at a drawing or having read a book. I remember at the AA, one of the most inspiring moments of my life was when someone asked me to uh, attend a lecture where Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's uh, poem was read. And we were, as students, we were supposed to draw a building from it. And so what I did in one of my master's student classes, in one of the classes, I remember I asked them to uh, play out loud um, Mark Knopfler's uh, Telegraph Road. And um, why, why it was necessary? Because I think the ABC Encyclopedia and your XYZ podcast are two, um, I wouldn't say methods, but they could be vehicles for which you can allow people to engage uh, into thinking. Because a lot of the, the drawings that Nasmi showed are, uh, are people who are thinking. And uh, they, they are artists by, by all means, but they... They thought about things, and uh, I think these drawings are revelation to say that, um, going back to William's point mm. about paper architecture, is that um, we are all architects by nature in terms of whether we've read something or heard a, mu a piece of music, mm. or we aspire to look at you know uh, amazing artwork on the cover of Beatles album. Mm. Um, but that that thinking process allows you to then at one opportunity will manifest itself, like Le Corbusier's uh, domino drawing, you know, mm -hmm. manifests itself through many other people. And it, it may be that me and Nasmi are drawing away, you know, fantasizing something, but mm. um, like Cedric Price's uh, fantasy has made beautiful buildings. I mean, it has uh, manifested itself through other lives. I mean, we, we as architects cannot perceive architecture as one generation of manifestation. Yeah. I think... I think teaching is a very uh, noble and almost, I might even say, divine way of uh, building knowledge because it then allows many other generations sometime in the future to, you know, pull out a sketch by Nasmi, you know, going back 200 years, let's say, and it says, here's a drawing that inspired me to do this building, mm. you know, and I, I think we must see architecture in that format because the beginning of when a building starts, right, is not when you get your letter of appointment, no way, mm. you know, your architecture, uh, started out many generations ago, as far back as you can see uh, Le Duc's drawing or uh, Marguerite painting. That's mm. when it started, you know, uh, when, when Nasmi went through at the age of seven, 
that Antakopedia made him what he is today. And I think we must see the manifestation of building as being generational. It may be that fortunately you might be able to, you know, invest or or, or manifest a, a build work within one lifespan. But if you can't, it is no, it is no um, misfortune at all. I think it is yeah. uh, it is a necessary device or means to arrive at a certain point in which you can then manifest it. You know, if if you don't do it, then someone many generations after you will do it. Mm. Thank you, Nasmi, for sharing. I've always loved your images. I've always asked you to lend me your books. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting. You did mention about that because I think yeah, I, I think thanks for 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 that. Uh, I don't know. I have been doing a forecast for quite a while and it, not much, but I think that's the goal for it. And I I really hope someone get inspired. Even though it might get like two and a half hour, it doesn't really matter. But it's always there. You can always listen back and watch back. So yeah, thanks a lot for all the you know share uh, you know people who shared and also who you know. Um, it's very interesting, always different kind of uh, ideas that um, comes to my mind that I really hope that all, all the things that, you know, shared, of course, is definitely... I, I, think, I think, Gary, I think you must also recognize that I think one of the things that you, what you are actually doing is actually creating an archive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think it's useful, especially for someone like me who's extremely lazy to kind of write down my thoughts, right? So let's say if, if I need to then kind of write about it, you know, 20 years later, then I can say, oh, I remember this kind of recorded conversation with Gary. Maybe I can send you I a can... transcript because Zoom did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Right. So things like that, right? So I think I think what you're doing through this, I mean, you may you may think that, oh, I'm simply, you know, talking to some friends or some people that I want to talk to, but in a way you're building up a body of knowledge. Mm. And I think it's equally important as writing a paper, but let's say simply documenting people's thoughts like this, right, is an extremely valuable form of creating knowledge and things that could be referred to, you know, by 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 myself when I old and I forget what I say, mm. or by other people who might be interested in, you know, a, 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 an obscure little Madrid painting. So, so I, I think it's a, like all artists, right create a form of knowledge that may be valued in their lifetime or may be valued generations later. Mm. Uh, and I think it's part of the human nature to kind of want to create something that outlasts us, right? And that could be in the form of building, that could be in the form of music, mm. that could be in the form of writing a book, or it could be in the form of archiving a set of interesting podcasts. So, so I, I think what you're doing here is not simply talking to people it's creating a body of work. Uh, mm. It's creating a, a very, very valuable body of knowledge. So I, I'm, I'm extremely kind of honored to be somehow part and to kind of contribute to this thing. So, so. thanks, thanks a lot for the. I, I think it's a very, very high uh, compliment. <laughs> I would say, but, but, but for me, I just maybe because because I, since I got here, I, I got a chance to. This is a Byrix Museum. Um, it's very interesting that they, they combine it together like different years. And it's very interesting. You you quickly glance like yellow color is 17th century, 16th century is very nice. And the next one is this one. Uh, it's called What Great Painting Says. So of course it, it, it's hundreds, hundreds of paintings. So I thought it's different because you, you just simply look at 12th century when they draw human is 
totally out of, out of proportion because they don't have study that kind of proportion, right? Until come the re 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 Renaissance uh, Gothic, Gothic is rather quite quite a weird one. And then you see a re Renaissance and then you see um, surrealism and then you see, and the, the painting is like an evolution. I mean, whatever we see is an evolve because um, two hours ago is actually an evolve. <laughs> it's been an evolution. That's how it evolved until our conclusion, I would say. And I think what is interesting is that uh, if you again, if you talk about Vermeer, right, and then mm. of course Vermeer is great. When when Vermeer was alive, he was not a recognized painter. He was yeah. he he was simply making these paintings to earn a living for he patrons <laughs> and, and for patrons selling. He he was it was simply his daily kind of job. His his job was to make these images. I don't think in all of his imagination, Vermeer could have imag imagined that you know uh, three hundred years later that. We'll be talking about his work mm. across continents like this. You know? mm. So it shows the value of work that like, you cannot imagine what will happen to your work way mm. down the line. You know, mm. but the importance is to create that work. And I don't know, maybe I don't know. Someone will be talking about the the podcast series long, mm. long. Mm. That's very so nice. A lot it'd be of nice that it'd be nice. To, it'd be nice to imagine. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, not me, but I I just had this picture in my mind when you you say that. Uh, you know, Gary's podcast will be heard by people wearing space suits on the moon, you know, and say, hey, yeah, listen exactly. to the conversation they're having. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, so don't worry, don't worry about immediate impact or whatever, like doing it is more important. Mm, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the uh, encouragement. I will continue to do it. <laughs> so, how about um, Zazi? Would you like to say a few words because you have been working with Nasmi for quite a while, isn't it? For collaborating with uh, in, in various event or competition or proposal. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a very long uh, <laughs> session. <laughs> bit, so sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, but but it's, but but it's actually quite 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 great and and very interesting. Uh, of course, probably I'll probably hang out with Nazmi tomorrow, probably. Uh, <laughs> you will see uh, him again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, I would also like to basically maybe respond to to the question on, you know, having local influences, right? Mm. Because, because I, I think sometimes uh, it's it's actually because of, you no know, you know, for instance, when, when we talk about, you know, uh, design or architecture or, or art or whatnot, right? Mm. Sometimes it's it's because of the exposure, right? Sometimes mm. you don't really dig up, let's say, things from from the West because in your context you are exposed to like a different set of references, right? Mm. And sometimes you are not exposed to the local references because you know, uh, you know, in your house your parents don't really listen to you know, uh, Malaysian music <laughs> and whatnot, you know. Uh, so sometimes, some, sometimes even though you are you are in Malaysia, but but some some uh, you know uh, the, the things that influence you are you know for, for instance, I give you an example. Let's say, you know, for, for a kid that, that grew up in the nineties, hmm. probably you are more influenced. Uh, you are more influenced by by you know things like Nintendo and hmm. and, and Super Mario hmm. rather than you know some some very Malay uh, dominated pop culture, right? So. So in a way that it, it doesn't make you like less Malaysian, but somehow it contributes towards a different sort of energy because mm -hmm. you've seen a lot of other things. You know, I, I remember you know reading a lot of you know you know uh, Hong Kong you know uh, comic books like there were uh, 
um, pahlawan or whatever <laughs> you know the water raya alam perwira those kind of things and even dragon ball and whatnot those kind mm. of things are somehow influence you to 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 start to you know dig up things like like drawings and art and whatnot lah mm. so so i wouldn't say like, like specifically that if you are from malaysia you must be inspired by the Malay, the mm. Malay timber house and of course somehow you know it's because because it's part of your life probably when you balik kampung something that you actually see then because of that yeah. like like what suzanne pointed out just now you don't really you know appreciate that that much yeah. until let's say someone from the west appreciate it or someone you know, really talk about it in in a more intellectual way then you suddenly realize that oh i didn't really realize that you know mm. my grand my house is actually you know like like a piece of you know art or something like that uh yeah anyway i think i think it's it's a, it's a, it's a great you know sort of discussion and i thought that actually you know what what uh, and i also true what 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 nazmi was saying that that as an archive because i think uh You no, know, I I listened to the to the to the pan talk. I think yesterday is it? Was it? Uh, oh yeah, on, on, thanks. On, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. On, on on writing, and and I also thought that you know, uh, you no. Know, number one is that we don't write because we don't see. You know, it's not that we don't see the value on it. Because to write like a proper writing, for instance, you 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 need to put a little bit, you know, a lot of energy, lah. I would say time mm-hmm. to invest in it or start to think about it and. And I think the way that 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 you know the 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 setting that we have or the context that we have now, you don't really get paid that well <laughs> to mm. do writing. If you're you're looking at it as as sort of a a, a full time job or mm-hmm. part time job, mm. so I mean like because of that, when when you when you share your thoughts through this kind of medium, it it would be like like probably another way for people to 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 share thoughts. So so I thought that that. And and probably it's the other way around that probably from this recording that you would transcribe it back to to be a book or or you know a, a blog or whatever. So so yeah, I think I think just just keep keep doing you know this this sort of things and and probably would inspire more people to do you know some other mm. things as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's from because me. thank you. Thanks thanks a lot, Zazie. Because I read your yeah. comment as well. It's not just uh, <laughs> we 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 can't write because maybe we don't read a lot. Also because you don't know what you wanted to write, right? And by mm. reading, you will gain a lot of uh, things in your brain, and then you will transfer it through words, and then your you know let the ink flow on your paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. So maybe okay. before I close up, I yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Zazie. You want to say? No, 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 no. Mm. So just thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, so I I did mention uh, Nicholas May. So this guy, so this is a uh, eavesdroppers. So he was a student of uh, Rembrandt. So you can see this is just a you know just a normal painting, but you can see actually someone you know gossiping and kissing at the window. <laughs> In fact, it, it adds another layer, and this is a really good one. So they 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 mm-hmm. they opens up like a like a map. So you can so you can have like the the explore. I mean. I I I feel guilty to show this because this is all very Western. But without knowing this, right, I don't realize how beautiful Malaysian's art is. You know, yeah. it makes me much more wanted to explore more in Malaysian culture and architecture. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot, everyone. I think it's a very long session. Uh, sorry for. I, I think I was also partly responsible for making it extremely long because I. No, no, I think, it's okay. I think it's very yeah. nice. We we will have a we will have time frame so you can skip any part you interested and then you can always listen back 
Um, so thanks for you know our our speaker uh, uh, Nasmi and also all the audience who joining us for almost like two and a half hours. So thank you guys so much. I, I hope to see you guys next week. We will have uh, Suzanne and to share when I was preparing the slides, um, I got a little bit nostalgia. <laughs> so 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 looking forward for that and I hope to see you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks Gary. It, it was a pleasure. Right, cheers. See you thank next you week. Gary. Thanks, Nasmi. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Thank you. Bye. See you tomorrow. Bye. See you tomorrow.